This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the television and movies being covered here would not exist. We stand with the writers and actors and support their call for equitable and fair treatment for everyone in the industry. You can support those on strike by making a donation at entertainmentcommunityfund.org, which will go to a writer, actor, or other entertainment worker in need. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues. And today we are talking about episode five of Ahsoka, uh, Shadow Warrior. Um, It's going to be a fun discussion obviously some of the most mind-blowing star wars we've seen in a long long time and there's a lot to discuss so i'm super excited to get into it as always i'm your host kyle uh today i'm just joined by my co-host paul uh tim unfortunately is not able to be here for this one um but uh paul how's it going it is uh bittersweet to be here without our our good friend tim uh tim had a little family emergency he had to go do and uh tim we love you man and he will be back and giving his probably five hour, you know, uh, essay speech <laughs> about the episode when he gets back. And I look forward to hearing it. Um, but uh, yeah, Tim is so it does not feel right to do do it without Tim. But uh, just, you know, we just we got to do it. And Tim told us we should we need to do it. And so um, I do what Tim tells me. So uh, uh, I'm <laughs> yeah, just it's, go a, it's a bummer to not have him here yeah. for sure. And we'll definitely make sure to save some time on the next episode or whenever he's able to come back to uh, let him share some thoughts on this one. Cause I know we were all excited to talk about it. And so it's a bummer to just have two of us. Yeah. It should be a fun one regardless. And we're going to, yeah, <laughs> still, still a long one regardless. Well, um, if you get, if anyone knows us well, Kyle, he, Everyone knows we're going to probably disagree about three things and probably start yelling at each other about something at some point. So, well, see, yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately, Tim's not here to moderate our debates or you know, <laughs> keep us keep us on track. But at the same time, I feel like we're going to agree on that's fair. most yeah. stuff in this episode, at least agreeing on the quality of things and how yeah. much we enjoyed it. We may differ in our speculation or different meanings of things or whatever. And, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot to get into there as well, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll try not to, you know, veer off into too many Last Jedi versus Rise of Skywalker debates or anything like that. That's that's for another no time. No prom no promises. No promises, but we'll try. Um I know do or do not, but you know, we'll see how it goes. 
Um, but anyways, let's just get right into to talking about this uh, incredible episode, uh, Shadow Warrior, directed by Dave Filoni. Um, man, and, you know, this was one that I was looking forward to. Uh, obviously, after last week, you know, we got the Anakin tease uh, at the end of last week's episode. And so this whole week, I've been anticipating eagerly uh, to be able to watch this. But even since the beginning of the show, um, when, you know, they announced like the, the directors that were, were doing each episode and saw that Dave Filoni was doing episode one and episode five. And I was like, OK, well, we know how closely tied he is to Ahsoka and, you know, all this stuff that we've speculated about maybe seeing it. So the fact that he's directing that one specifically, uh, there's got to be some cool stuff going down there. And uh, boy, was there some cool stuff that went down in this episode. Um Oh, sorry. Were you going to jump in right there? Oh no, I was. I thought I was. I was waiting for you. If you had, if you were going to be still talking. So oh, okay. I, I no, I was going to go right into the episode. I just thought you sounded like you were about to start talking. But, no, no, I was. I was. Um, just, I was preparing for what you were going to do next. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's just jump right into it. You know, we'll kind of go through um, all the the major story points of this one, um, like we normally do. Um, and yeah, I mean, it starts off with uh, kind of the aftermath of the last episode where, uh, you know, Morgan and Balin and Shin and Sabine had all taken off on the Eye of Scion and thrown Hera's squadron into disarray as they, you know, jumped to light speed and took off for the other galaxy. And so we start with just these kind of big, empty landscape shots of CTOS and seeing that everybody's gone. Um, and then the ghost and the X-wing, X-wings come and land and, you know, Hera's going out and they're kind of surveying the area, trying to find uh, Sabine and Ahsoka and, you know, find out what happened and where everybody went. Um, and kind of starts with this, like, heartbreaking shot of, uh, you know, Hera finds Hu Yang, like, standing over the cliff um, and holding Sabine's helmet that she left behind in her fight with Shin. And just, you know, he's... Uh, just kind of remorsefully saying like, uh, you know, I told them to stay together, but they didn't listen. They never listened. Um, and we know that Sabine is fine, at least for now, like at least she's still alive, but she's off with the bad guys. And we know that Ahsoka is not going to be dead. Um, but still like to see that from Hu Yang, it was like a surprisingly emotional moment from a droid that we don't see that often in star Wars. So, um, well, you know, I think, listen, I'm a Hugh Yang, like, supporter 100% and I love him but people are giving like you know him so much credit when like my boy 3PO has you know oozes emotion out you know and I'm like guys wh- why are y'all hating on my boy like he th- this dude is a most emotional being arguably in Star Wars you know he's always scared about something he's always worried about something those are emotions come on don't don't That's be true. forgetting my it's- boy well, it's not that three PO doesn't show emotion, but I feel like he's not as badass. I get it, Kyle. I get well, no, it. No, no, I know no. what you're it's trying just, to say. This was a more like emotionally touching moment. I see. This is already the wrong podcast for me to be saying this on, with it being just you and me here, because I know how much you love C three PO. But yes. for me, I'm already putting Hu Yang a step above. Why? I'm just gonna say why? it with why? with his why? with his Jedi lore and history and his knowledge of lightsabers and all that kind of stuff. Plus, David Tennant just bring and I mean nothing against Anthony Daniels, nothing against C3PO. Love that character. He's classic Star Wars. 3PO is awesome. But I am just really loving what Hu Yang is bringing to the show so far. Why do you have to hit him, my boy? 
I'm not boy. hating on anybody. I'm not you hating on like, anybody. Uh, I'm just loving. I'm just why loving is Yue just such a unique droid that has so much emotion and so much so much tie to the characters? It's just so refreshing. We haven't ever seen that in Star Wars before. Come on. I mean, we've never seen three PO train anybody in lightsaber combat before. Come well, on. We need to. I mean, that hey, war does not make one great, sir. Uh, no, it does not. No, anyway. again, I'm all not. Right. I'm not saying anything bad about C three PO. In all seriousness. Hugh Yang is a, is is a G. I ain't gonna lie. Like he's like he's easily probably the glue of this entire series, to be quite honest. And and there's a number of reasons for that, right? I mean, I think this scene is a great example why, because he bridges. He's the literal bridge, Kyle, for the series between Rebels and Ahsoka, and he's the one that gives us the most tidbits of like what kind of happened because not only do we know that like he has a relationship with with sabine and with uh with ahsoka obviously but like hera and him have a somewhat of a you know camaraderie a little bit right like there's like she you know it's not like uh who are you like who yang like there, there's like when, when like Hera and him are talking and stuff here in a few minutes that's all like it's not just they just met you know what i mean like they know each other like yeah. there's a familiarity there and I'm just like, dang, it's he is easily becoming to me. I think it, it, it's very interesting how Dave knows how to get to Star Wars fans the right way. And like, how do you know, what can I do to kind of poke and prod the past and not have to rely on uh, supplementary material or over explain things? I know. I'll give Ahsoka like this fan favorite droid from the Clone Wars. Get Matt Smith, a, you know, a great actor, right? And I then, wish it was Matt Smith, but it's David Tennant. Like, whatever is whatever. You know both, what I mean? You know, Doctor David Who's. Yeah, whatever. I I I don't. I've never watched Doctor Who. Never will. But David Tennant, I love David Tennant. And the thing is that this it's a great way of bridging and getting us up to speed and keeping us on the same level. And in a very entertained and emotional way. And he really is to me the backbone of the series because if I feel if Hugh Yang doesn't work, then you don't the show doesn't work because you need him to drive the motivations of both Ahsoka and Sabine. And that is right now the heartbeat of what and we'll get even deeper into that here in a little bit. But to me, it's it emphasizes that whole thing with the with the with the helmet. It just shows you that he has a, a real history with, with Sabine as well which is interesting so it's yeah i i just love this whole the whole this whole setup scene was incredible yeah it was a, a great start um but of course then you're wondering like okay well where's ahsoka like last we saw her she was in the world between worlds with anakin um and pretty soon we we go back there and we see her you know kind of standing on that bridge um facing anakin and she's kind of like what's going on like you know how did i get here and he's like uh, you know, you lost a fight and at first she doesn't remember. And he's like, Oh, trust me, you lost. And, and she remembers, uh, you know, the fight with Balin. Um, but then she's kind of like, you know, what's going on? Like, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm here to finish your training, uh, and teach you one final lesson. And at first she's kind of resistant and she's like, you know, you don't really have anything left to teach me and stuff. And then, you know, she's like, all right, what's the lesson? And he ignites his lightsaber and says, live or die. Um, and then comes at her and she defends with her own lightsaber and they start having, I mean, we, we get this just insane 
visual of Anakin and Ahsoka having a lightsaber duel in the world between worlds, which, um, you know, we, I think a lot of us speculated or expected coming into this, that we would see Anakin. I mean, it was basically all but confirmed. Like it kind of leaked out that Hayden Christensen was going to be in the show and Rosario Dawson, like sort of accidentally confirmed it. Um, and then we speculated about maybe seeing the world between worlds as well, but seeing the two of them having a lightsaber duel in there was not on my radar whatsoever. And uh, I mean, as we kind of get through the story, we'll talk more about the different layers and the meaning and the lessons that he's teaching her and stuff like that. But just right off the bat, I mean, seeing Hayden again, I mean, you know, we saw just a brief glimpse of him at the end of the last episode, but um you know, seeing his face, hearing his voice, seeing him in the costume, and then seeing him doing like the familiar moves with the lightsaber and stuff again. Um, it was just so freaking cool, man. And just, you know, the tip of the iceberg for just some incredible stuff in this episode. Yeah, I it, it's really interesting to have, you know, to look back, Kyle, on what we speculated on Ahsoka at first, because we all thought, man, all that writing that like is on on the on the logo, it all looks like World Between Worlds kind of. And we went, no, there's no way they're going to the World Between Worlds. Like that was way too crazy. And now look at us, like we're fully in the World Between Worlds. And I just want, it's got to say too, leave it, leave it to David Filoni. David, is it David? There's a David, it's David, <laughs> David Filoni. Like, you know, I know him personally on that level. Um, leave it to Dave Filoni to not only give us the world between worlds, but to give us a different kind of thing of the world between worlds. So that either one, it's a live action representation, but mostly it gives us an idea that this is not meant to be the same, you know, the world between worlds is not exactly the same thing you know, verbatim. And that to me is one of the most fascinating aspects because when we go, when we first, you know, you know, from last episode to this episode too, and then initially it's just like long winding roads and, and it, you kind of under, for me, just kind of off the bat, I just got to say, I'm not saying I understand the force more maybe like, but I kind of understand it better. I think now, and like maybe of, of, if you take all the storytelling from, you know, uh, all of the Dave force stuff from, you know, the stuff he did with George to the stuff from the rebels to, uh, Mandalorian a little bit, we got to now with Ahsoka, it's starting to kind of come together a little bit, how these things all kind of work. A little bit for me especially how he wrote anakin in this episode i felt like this is probably the most on the nose like rep like representation of what he's trying to say through the force you know mm -hmm. with 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 anakin himself and it's one of those things where i just when we, we and so when i go into you know straight into this world between worlds it's just this bare place and instead of being that whole like uh the whole thing from the rebels where it's like, you know, different portals and stuff where it's super bonkers. We have now just this, just this endless world of just like these winding roads. And I'm just like, there, I, I think that's obviously intentional on multiple levels. And that, and that's kind of the theme of this whole episode is just, it's, it's, it's both 
it, it's like that for a practical reason, but it also serves the story of purpose. And it, that's just Dave Filoni being resourceful. And I just, and I just I initially and right off the bat, like it's, just, it feels like the force and how life is endless. It's just an endless cycle of winding roads of life and what that represents, especially with the, of what Anakin's trying to teach uh, Ahsoka off the bat. And that's what I love too, is initially we get, we, I, we have, at least for me, I, I say from everything from spoilers. And when we get a, so when we get Anakin and he's like, I have one more lesson to teach you. I'm like, Ooh, this is going to be good. I knew immediately where I was going to love this because not just because like, Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's Anakin and Ahsoka are together. Oh my God. Like that, that can only, that can only work for so long. Right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there's a deeper meaning there, I knew I'm like, okay, it's not just like Anakin's like, I need to help you to move on. Like, no, 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 It's not, this is bigger than that. And I love that. And the fact that he's like, I have, I have, to, I have lots to still train, you know, I have, I have one more lesson to train you, to train you in. And I'm like, oof. And I, and I did, and I, and everyone debated before and I never did. And I'm not trying to brag about this. I mean, there's still debate for it, I think, but I still think I'm right. That's Anakin. That's 100% Anakin. You, it, there's no way that's not Anakin. And I, I immediately bought into it just to how he was interacting and how he knew, you know, he's, you know, he said, I have one more less. You, you have one more thing you need to learn. And I think it, it's kind of indirectly what people always complained about, which again, I'm, I'm not going to get too much ahead here, but there is a reason that he's telling her, I have one more thing for you because there's a sense of like, not, I wouldn't say lack of humility or arrogance, maybe necessarily, but there's a sense of like, I'm, I'm above what's, what's around me on the force. Like I am on a different level kind of a thing. And I think that like, that's where his, like, there's almost like I'm content of being this like Ronin. And I think that's the first thing that he Wait, you're talking about with Ahsoka. Yeah. Like that's what I think he addresses right away. He's like, I have one more lesson to teach you. And I really do feel like there, and again, it's not, and that's, that's the best part. It's both on the nose, Kyle, but there's so much, there's so much layers. So mm -hmm. many, let me give it me back. And I know you're, you're probably itching to talk about this period in a second, but there's just so many layers that Anakin, that he writes with Anakin that I think is just effing brilliant that it's, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's great. And I, I love the fact that they first start out and he's like, you know, again, it's all it's all visual rep representation. And I love how the world between worlds is this representation of like the literally not just the world between worlds, but it's like it's basically. Um, uh, oh, my God, like the Catholics believe in um, purgatory, purgatory. It's basically purgatory. And yeah. that's what I, I, that's, that's how I describe it. Would you describe that the same the same thing? <clears throat> you're you're bringing up a lot of points that i want to like chime in on but i kind of want to just get through like the plot of like the first half of the episode oh, and kind of just talk here, about man. things like and to, and just kind of talk about things like surface level just because it, like i want to get more into like the themes and what it all means and like what's real and what's not and what's anakin and what's just the force itself but i kind of want to wait until after the whole arc has concluded and then talk about all of that stuff rather than like be jumping ahead or just trying to pick little pieces of it here and there. So, um, I make no, yeah, like all, all this, I, stuff, I, all this stuff yeah, is, I got all a lot to talk is, about. 
yeah, all this stuff is great. And I've got I've got thoughts on all this stuff that you're talking about, but I'm I feel like I want to save it for just a little bit longer. So um but anyway, did, were you, did you have any more thoughts on that? before? No, we, I was, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was, I was letting you kind of, I thought you wanted to kind of chime in on a couple of things. So I was going to let you go for it. No. Yeah. I let's, let's just move on to the next part. And then again, some of the stuff that you're talking about with just the, the representations of things and everything. Like, I, I just want to save that for like, once this whole Anakin part has concluded and then kind of talk about what it all means. Um, but we, you know, so as all this stuff is going on, we're kind of cutting back and forth between Anakin and Ahsoka in the world between worlds and Hera and Jason and Hu Yang and Carson and the X-Wing pilots as they're, you know, flying over the surface and, and searching for uh, Ahsoka. Um, but early on here in the episode, we get what is also one of like my favorite scenes in um, in this episode, in this show, like one of my favorite star wars moments if i'm being honest and i tweeted about this like last night i was like it after re-watching the episode for like the third time um i was like it's ridiculous how many like instantly iconic star wars moments are in this episode um just moments that are beautifully shot that have so much deep meaning to them that are just really cool that have gorgeous music i mean it's funny, you talked about who, like, from a story standpoint, Hu Yang kind of being the backbone of this show that kind of, like, connects all the other characters. But I feel like also Kevin Kiner, like, is the backbone of this show. Like, in much the same way that even with all the great stories and characters and visuals and stuff of, like, the Star Wars films, it just would not be the same without John Williams. Um, I mean, Kevin Kiner is bringing that same kind of element to this series. Um but yeah, I mean, one of those those moments that I thought was so great musically, but also just story-wise and everything, um, is this moment where, you know, Hera is standing on the cliff. She's got her scanner. She's talking to Chopper. She's talking to Carson. And Carson's like, hey, uh, you know, we're overdue at HQ. And like, we get a, a Leia name drop. He says, hey, Senator Organa can only cover for us for so long. And like, it was cool to hear her uh, not only get a name drop, but know that like, she's kind of on the side of these guys that are still... Uh, you know, being rebels a little bit and going against the rules and, uh, you know, disobeying orders, but doing it to to help their friends and for the sake of the greater good. Um, that Leia, even, you know, being in a position of power as a senator is still kind of looking out for those guys. Um, but in the midst of all this, Jason keeps interrupting and he's like, mom, mom. And, and she's like, all right, what? Like, uh, you know, and he's telling her to listen to the waves um, as they're standing over this cliff and, you know, just the, the sea of sea tosses, you know, crashing up against the, the waves and stuff up on the rocks. Um, and finally, you know, she she sends Carson away. She's like, all right, I'll deal with it. And she finally gives Jason her attention. And uh, he's like, listen, she's like, OK, what am I listening for? Like just the waves crashing? And he goes, no, the lightsabers. And as Anakin and Ahsoka are having this duel in the world between worlds, like Jason is able to hear the sounds of their lightsabers crashing. But just, again, the way that like from a sound design standpoint, the way that you're listening and first you just hear the waves crashing and then you hear like the sounds of lightsabers clashing like layered over that and the way it blends together so well as this like epic swelling rendition of the Force theme plays. Um just incredible like such a just beautiful cinematic like just 
100% Star Wars moment. I mean, when you talk about this episode, just having stuff that like, uh, you know, that you've always wanted to see from Star Wars or like stuff that you never knew you wanted to see from Star Wars. You know, it was just such a cool, new, creative way of doing that. Um, and also showing, you know, some really interesting like force potential from Jason. I mean, we knew that we'd probably see him show up in this show just because we're going to see Hera and we know she's got a kid, but I didn't know like how much of a factor he was going to be and how, you know, how much we were going to see him play a role in the story. And I'm really loving everything we're seeing with him so far. Um, I think Evan Witten, the the young actor that plays him, I think he's doing a phenomenal job and I think his performance is great, but even just the way that they're using him within the story and showing, um, you know, this young kid kind of discovering his force powers for the first time. And I mean, we don't know like when he first discovered that he had force powers. Um, but obviously like he's not a fully trained Jedi or anything like that, you know, he's not even like a Padawan to anybody or like, you know, so far from it, but still you're seeing even for, for a kid that's not a Jedi or not being trained by a Jedi, but has those force abilities, like, seeing how he's still able to manifest that and use that in helpful ways and wonderful ways. And, and then even for Hera to be able to be in tune with it too. And it kind of goes with the theme from earlier in the show of, um, you know, Sabine and, and Ahsoka explaining to her about how like, yes, natural talent and everything is a factor in determining like who can be a Jedi and who can use the force. But like the force resides in all living things and it's open to anybody. If you, you know, if you listen and focus and and are willing to, you know, be open to it. Um, and so to have Jason sort of guide her in that and Hera, of course, knowing, you know, through Kanan and everything, like she's seen the power of the force at work. So she's not going to be like skeptical about it, like on Solo. But, um, you know, to see her kind of in this busy moment, kind of finally calm down and listen to what her son is telling her. And then she's able to hear that, too, um, was just so well done and i was surprised i mean obviously the anakin and ahsoka stuff was fantastic um but you know i, I was kind of surprised how many great moments there were with jason um and some of these other characters in this episode as well i was surprised how much i like jason in this episode and that goes i get that's a credit to i think both the actor and i'm gonna keep praising uh you know, Dave Filoni for writing a, writing great characterizations um, and great character beats for so many different people, including Jason. Um, it is really hard to get, you know, we all well know, right, Kyle, uh, from experience from not, not ours ourselves, maybe necessarily, but let's just say in general for Star Wars fans, how hard it is to get believable kid characters and have them be not obnoxious or, you know, whatever. Jason is toying that line, I feel pretty well. Um, cause I think kids, it just reminds me of why star Wars is so great is because of, because of, of children. You know, I always go back to that mm -hmm. line of, of, of attack of the uh, clones when, you know, when, when George put, you know, George was a big, big kid person. That's why, that's why he created star Wars in the first place. He, and I always thought, felt like he was kind of a big kid in himself, right? He loves to go fast and all that jazz. And, um, you know, but the cool thing was when he, he has that line where Yoda says, it's truly wonderful is the mind of a child. And I, and, yeah. I, and I love how Dave is keeping that in, in place because 
everyone's so because to me it's like kids know like we'll focus on those random things you know like i i knew from i knew this because i that's what i did when i was a kid i just know from being around kids a lot and now having a kid of my own they just do and i feel like a child will be the only way that someone would, would pay attention to the waves does that make any sense like it, it's like yeah everyone else would be like oh look at the rock look at the trees and no kid goes to the water and it's like you know, like just listening instead of like, we got to go down in the water and like scope it out. And, you know, no, no, kids are going to look outside and just look overhead and just kind of listen to something. And all of a sudden catches uh, lightsabers clashing. That to me is a great moment and a great realization of how that line from attack, attack of the clones. When Yoda says truly wonderful, you know, mind of a child. And that is 100% true because kids will point things out that you won't ever think of. And you're like, oh man, they're totally right. And kids are way smarter. And, I, and I've said this since I was I was a kid. I've said it since I was an adult. And before I had kids and now I have a kid, kids are are always way smarter than people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. And I love how George kind of really implemented that in his in his Star Wars. And that to me emphasizes again what makes Star Wars so great is that it truly is meant for not the kid at, uh, and all of us. And it really gives them a, a place to shine and not just in a very obnoxious way. And uh, in my opinion, and it, it can't be obnoxious in any medium or any franchise. Like, you know, kids written not well when again, Anakin, maybe in, in episode one, not the greatest all, all time. But it, wasn't, I mean, it was all bad. But you get what I'm saying. And, and Jason does a great job of the actor does. I think, I think the direction has been great. I think Dave, I think Dave has done a great job of, of letting us in his world and, and, and teaching us about him as a character very, very well. And I just love that he got, he has a pretty big moment here and it's such there's a bunch of things I need to touch on here. Um, first of all, I, I want to talk about Kevin Kiner's score. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think that there are a lot of unsung heroes when people watch this and the reason why I think people have been predominantly, I mean, it was a little bit more negative. I think at first, because everyone's like, Oh, so so mean, you know, but like, I think people have, I've grown to like really love the show for many different reasons, like Balin. And, and I, but I think like it's the bad guy. I think it's a great supporting cast. Like Hugh Yang, we ta- I talked about, but the music we've, we've, we've talked a lot about already. Um, I just got to emphasize more. It is definitely some of the best Star Wars music we've gotten post Williams. And I never thought I and I like I like Kevin Kiner's music and I've always liked and supported him and through Clone Wars, through Rebels and through Bad Batch. And I don't know if he did Resistance or not, but um, if he did Resistance, I didn't watch. I don't I only watched it once and probably won't ever watch it again. Lord willing. So who knows? But I got to tell you, this music is definitely the backbone and has definitely been the unsung hero of the, of the series that. I didn't realize how much I missed someone who really got Star Wars and not not trying to push push Star Wars in a different level like Ludwig was always doing. So, um, I, yeah, I, I loved all that. Um, the, the go about, I mean, I, I also think Ludwig stuff is fantastic, but like, no, it's brilliant. It's I think, brilliant. It, yeah, I think I think that's fitting for the Mandalorian going more the the space western route. route, like yeah, you know, exactly. doing something a little weird and different. Um, yeah, but yeah, this just I mean, it fits. You know, when you have a story centered on Jedi and Force users, and it's kind yes. of more of a classic Star Wars adventure, yeah. um, the you know, and then to have the guy who originated the themes for a lot of these characters in the animated shows 
Um, but even, you know, I mean, the, the stuff that we've heard in Clone Wars and Rebels is great, but it definitely kind of feels... And it feels great for an animated show, but I wondered, like, is is Kevin Kiner going to be up to the task of, like, creating the, the grandeur and everything and the scope needed for, like, live-action Star Wars? Which, not that I doubted that he could, because I know he's done live-action, like, shows and movies and stuff, too. Um, but, well, yeah, I mean, you can tell whatever they were doing on Clone Wars, I don't know if they were, you know, if they had, like, a small orchestra or if it was just... Yeah, I was just going to say that. I, yeah, do, I was Doing it electronically. Say. Because I know, like, for the Clone Wars movie and then, like, for the Season 5 arc and then I think yeah, also for Season 7, like, they made a point of being like, oh, we're kind of going big for this and getting a full orchestra. And you could tell that the music in those episodes was a lot you know just the sound was a lot richer and fuller and kind of yeah. grander in scope and everything and so it's like that's what they're doing for this whole series and just knocking it out of the freaking park well and i, and I was just gonna say that i think the biggest reason as, as being a music person myself i you can kind of tell when like the budget's pulled back and they're doing everything synth you know synth wise to, to add strings to add layers of you know uh background music um and and and, and in general and you could tell, like, for instance, when I, I think they got a full orchestra for the when Ahsoka uh, leaves the order. I think that's yeah. a full orchestra, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that and that sounds fantastic. Um, and again, like, and that's the thing people got to realize that, you know, a lot of it is some, you know, I'm, I'm a punk rocker at heart. I don't always need to have great production. But at the same time, when you're doing something like this, it does the full orchestra does give it a more of a Star Wars feel as far as. And, you know, and I think like, like if you go back to listen to that step first, the last season, excuse me, of Clone Wars, it's everything. I mean, that again, a big reason why that whole season's great is because probably everything is, is not, you know, is not, you know, under, you know, wasn't, uh, uh, you know, over undersold, you know, or whatever the term is. I'm trying to think, um, you know, spare no expense. That's what I'm trying to spare no expense. Um, it really felt like they went full out. And I think with this is, is, is kind of the same thing that, they have a lot bigger budget and because of that they are able to get you know a real legitimate like score going and kevin kiner with all his star wars experience is really throw, showing you when, when he when he's when and when they are giving because it's him and his wife which i'm not sure if it's always has it always been him and his wife no it's not him and his wife it's him and his son and daughter mm. yeah so okay, it's like I'm kevin sorry. kevin kiner is the lead composer and then his you know his adult kids uh sean and dina kiner um are credited as like additional music by you know um, i did i just have I, I you know what i'm gonna go ahead and say this right now i think that um they may have they have added a different layer and and added a different dynamic to kevin's music for the better because i can tell you i've always liked this stuff but since bad batch and I'm not sure when they first came on with him. Maybe it's, it's been since Rebels. And Rebels is great, too. Rebels has been great. I think they might have started out on Rebels, but I feel like it's really been kind of since Bad Batch that it's been yeah. like, three, the, like been the I, three of them. Yeah, it with, feels... With Sean and yeah. Dina contributing a lot as well. Having a lot more... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Having a lot more... Uh, 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 not power, but um, a say and like a lot more... Uh, uh, they're more on the forefront and having their ideas probably more there. Whereas probably they're, they're kind of taking their dad's lead on rebels at first, because, you know, maybe they've shown on the road. I have no idea. Right. But at the same time, it definitely feels since bad batch. Cause even I could tell, 
you know, again, I'm, I'm, I, I very amateur musician, but I, I've played for, you know, many years in bands and things like that. So I, music's my thing. And I could tell you right now, like, I, I notice a different change in the style and or just how it's constructed in bad batch. And it's, it was definitely an improvement. Like I could like, Oh, this is actually, this is really good stuff. And I think in bad batch season two, even more, I'm like, man, you know, again, music's really good. And Ahsoka is just, I think really is a culminating and like maybe seeing his son and his daughter, pushing that to the forefront because i've been really impressed with everything overall because it's it's immediately star wars but it's also you know it's it's kitchen it's kitchen all the right notes but it is doing a little bit just a little bit enough where you're like it's not exactly just you know copycatting cut and paste here so mm -hmm. um last little bit thing and we'll move on i apologize i'm sorry we knew that, guys we all knew this was a long episode whether we're all three of us or not you know this um I do like what is what Dave is doing with the forest with, with normal people. I love it. And I like the fact that we're emphasizing, you know, going back to uh, multiple points because we have the whole point earlier when, like you said, Ahsoka's like, you know, talent's a factor, but the forest can reside in people. Maybe you can develop it like a cure, you know, you know, cheer it, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what's great is we got now, um, a little bit of like also reinforcing what Ahsoka said about talent when, you know, Jason, a kid, I can hear lightsabers. You hear it? Like it took, you know, it's like, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Hugh Ng's like, acknowledges like, yeah, like his dad was a Jedi. Like, mm -hmm. of course, Jason's going to have like force power. And, and, and I, I'm just going to say this right now and I'm going to shut up and let you talk. It drove me nuts when, you know, people were online with the whole Ray Rando thing being like, we don't need a parasite to be a blah, blah, blah. And I, and I, and, and, and you know, I, I understand. And people hated like, oh, you shouldn't have to come from a family of all. I, I, I understand, but it's, it's, you know, when you have moments like this, that's why you have it because of great moments like this. And I think it's emphasizing both that the force can reside in people. We can develop it, but natural ability is always going to be there and it is very very important and jason sindula or is he is he, is he going with jason sindula I, I don't even know his last name like what what are they doing yeah with okay uh jason sindula which by the way i love by the way um i love that we go with his mom's name um i just i love the fact that like he's emphasizing both aspects at the same time and, and again it's not just it's not just like kind of like a very like subtle thing like no no like Hugh Yang's like, yeah, dude, like, duh, like his dad's a Jedi. Dude's going to be gifted, like, right? Like it's going to be a, no, you know, no brainer. So it's just, again, you inherit talents that force is inheritable. I like, I'm not saying it has to be, everyone has to come from a family like that, but it just makes sense to keep that tradition because it's just, it's just also how it is usually in our life too and that kind of stuff, right? So anyway, love that. I love how he both acknowledges both. People can develop the force, Hera. Then his her son, you know, son Jason's obviously gonna be naturally gifted G because his dad's a Jedi. So anyway, love it. Yeah, and I love the interaction too, where uh, you know, Hu Yang is explaining that to Carson Tava. And you know, of course, we get the Kanan name drop for the first time. Um, get to hear oh. him mention, but also just as he's saying all that, and then Carson's just like, okay, like he just kind of <laughs> shrugs and is like, All I, right, we'll just go with it then. And I just want to add this too. I, I saw this in a theater with people, by the way. I, I meant to mention that at the beginning. I apologize because it, it will inform a little bit. I just want to say I was surprised because like I laughed at things more there than I had thought like when I rewatched these episodes now than I wouldn't have before. So like when he says the Canaan like, or, or to, um, to, oh my God, I'll keep forgetting his name. Um, 
Carson. Um, when he tells Carson, like, hey, uh, you know, yeah, he's a Jedi, whatever, you know, his dad's a Jedi. And then his response is like, okay. Like, you know, like, like I didn't, I don't think that's overly funny, but like in the theater, everyone lost their mind. Everyone did. And I'm like, and I laughed too. And I watched it again. I'm like, was it that funny? But it's, it's just there, interesting. There's, there's definitely something about just having the energy of a crowd. Um, and especially like on an, yeah, right. I mean, you know, opening night, like seeing it for the first time with a, a big crowd of Star Wars fans. Cause I kind of right. felt that way too about the first two episodes. Like there were moments, um, that I still laugh at now. Like, you know, I mean, the one that comes to mind is like when they're, uh, when Sabine is like diffusing the bomb and who Yang is like, yeah, I don't know if we should do this right here. And Hera's like, I say, go for it. And he's like, because you're a hologram. Um, like we all died laughing at that in the theater. And then I watch it at home and I'm like, you know, I still chuckle at it. Like it's still funny, but there's just something about, you know, that added energy of, you know, sort of feeding off the crowd around you and um, getting to see it with a bunch of other excited Star Wars fans, which by the way, I'm totally jealous that you got to go see this on the big screen. Although I know you said that the sound quality wasn't great. Yeah. That alone is enough to make me be like, maybe I'm better off just watching it at home. Okay. Like, first of all, yeah, if I'm going to go guys, see Star Wars in a theater, like I gotta have good sound with it. First of all, you and Caleb and Tim got to see it together. First two episodes, like a big event. Like, first of all, screw you guys, whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's all I gotta say. So yeah, but like the stuff that happens in this episode, that was the kind of stuff that I was like, like I figured it wouldn't happen in the first two episodes, but part of me was hoping we would just get a little glimpse of some of this kind of stuff just so I could see that on a big screen surrounded by a huge crowd of fellow, you know, energized yeah. fans. That you know, that's fair. So I here's what I'll say real quick and then we'll move on. Um, it was a really great experience. I feel like I could talk about, I, I won't. Yeah, I won't. When we, when Ahsoka is done, we will, we will come back and talk a lot about this. So make notes of this Cal. Cause I do want to talk about this on our show one day, one day um, getting there, the whole experience of, of, of actually like having an event for a Disney plus show, like what they did is they're very interesting. And there's a lot to talk about and dissect with that. Cause I talked to a couple people there and I got some interesting responses that I wanted to argue with them in, you know, in line. And I did a little bit, but I was like, man, this is not the place for, for this. So anyway, I digress. Um, really, really fun. Really fun. I was, I barely got in. I was, I got there 45 minutes early, um, which is not like I, I'm not usually a lot earlier with that kind of stuff. I got there and I thought I'll be more than fine. I get there's a huge line. And I'm like, well, that sucks. I'm gonna get a crappy seat because I figured I had a you know secure seat, right? Well, the guy behind me was like, yeah, it's, and it sucks because like our seats aren't guaranteed. I'm like, what? Yeah, look at your ticket. I look, it says not guaranteed. It was, they purposely overbooked it, and I was like, <gasps> and I was literally one of the last ten people. Wow, forty, bro. I got there. And I, and I raced out, like I left work, like I talked to my boss and like, I made sure I could leave exactly how early I could leave, which is like, you know, whatever I booked it. I went out, zoomed down to that theater. Cause it's a little bit of, about 20 minutes away from me. I zoomed down to that theater, man. I ran out there and I was like, and I felt like it was going to be a, it wasn't in the IMAX screen. It was in like a, it was in like a, it was in a Dolby, like, you know, really nice like theater, but it wasn't like a super huge theater. And if it was in the IMAX, I would have had no problem. But anyway, um, I got there and uh, and I I told I said online that like I got the there was a poster right before me and I got two guys and one guy grabbed one and there was none left. I was like, (gasps) 
I was so pissed. They eventually came out with more. Thank God. Um, but um, I was just like, what? And I couldn't find a seat. And I finally got one. I, I, I got a decent seat. I thought like I was kind of like a little bit lower bottom right side, but not, they, not terrible. And uh, uh, they came back in and go, uh, you know, can you guys all tell us, show us hands, like how many empty seats are like next to you? And they go five. Okay. And I had just walked in like two minutes ago. So I literally was like one of the last people in and that just shows you how many people were excited to watch Ahsoka in the theater, man. Like that's crazy. So, um, and again, again, 45 minutes, not like, I think that's being very conservative for someone like me who likes to plan and everything. So I felt like, well, I don't really know how busy it's going to be, but I feel that's a good, a good time. I barely got in. I, I was thankful. I zoomed that as fast as I could. So anyway, this is the, say what you were saying before the sound was terrible. The, it, the picture looked fantastic, I thought. Sound was terrible. It was horrible. It was basically only front speakers working. Hmm. It was it was not great. And it was a little, it was honestly a little distracting, but thankfully we had a beautiful episode to watch it. it I kind of didn't really care in the end, but but yeah, it was a little distracting. Yeah, I mean, that's a bummer, but like, um, I mean, yeah, it, it was crazy that they even did a theatrical screening for this. And that, that was another thing that had everybody hyped up during the week. It was like, man, if they're doing a theatrical screening for the mid-season episode, then you know there's about to be some crazy stuff that goes down. I just hope that they do like something similar for the finale and maybe do it in even more cities because, you know, it was just 10 cities that they did this in. Um so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, aside from the sound issues, and I don't know if that was just you, because um, I haven't really heard that from anybody else, but I haven't really like specifically talked to anybody else that was um, at other screenings. So I don't know if maybe it was just your theater that was having issues or it could have been a thing because, you know, like when when they do movies for theatrical releases and stuff it's like you got to do a whole you know sound mix that's like engineered for those you know big surround sound speaker systems and movie theaters and stuff and then um but it's lucasfilm i mean skywalker sound i mean come on like it feels like oh like, yeah no i'm, know, I'm right? not saying i'm not saying that they couldn't do it i'm just saying if it was like a last minute decision like we don't know how long they've been planning on doing this screening um, they only announced it like the week before, like they announced it after episode four aired. Um, and I'm sure part of this has to do with, you know, the strike and not having the actors available yeah. to promote the show and stuff like that. So if it was a very last minute decision, then maybe it's like, OK, they already had the the Disney Plus, you know, yeah, movie mix. file, essentially like that yeah. version of the episode ready to go. And they didn't have time to redo the sound mix to optimize it for movie theaters. And they just said, okay, well, we're just going to take the Disney plus version and show it and see how it goes. Well, um, it, it, and if I, if I may really quickly, I, I think you're right. I think it was probably a last minute thing. If it, it felt the way it was kind of constructed, because even like the company that was putting it on for us or wh for everywhere, wh wherever it was, um, it just felt kind of, I don't know. It felt kind of, kind of put together weirdly. And I don't know, like it, yeah, it's hard to explain it because that's the way it was done. You could tell they weren't really, they weren't really ready for what they were getting kind of a thing. So I don't know. That's just my, maybe I'm totally off and maybe we are wrong, but it felt, it felt very kind of last minute to me, just the way like everyone was kind of like, running in a little bit so just wanted to 
throw it out there. I think that it would not surprise me. And I also wonder if it was last minute because maybe they weren't expecting such a like it's be a buildup. Like they realize, oh man, like this show is actually doing pretty well because it feels like why didn't they do this for Mando? Because Mando is a pretty mm-hmm. much a cultural phenomenon, but they did it for Ahsoka. It's just, well, I mean, see, I feel like it could be the opposite though because. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember after, I feel like, I forget if it was after the first two episodes or after episode three, like there was some data that started coming out about how many, like the viewership numbers for Ahsoka. Um, and of course this was from like some third party. Yeah, I don't believe that collection. Thing. It, it wasn't from Disney, but they were, you know, it was sort of lower than expected. And then Disney immediately came out and said like, oh, the Ahsoka premiere was watched by, you know, 14 million households worldwide and making it sound like this big success. So it could also be a thing where maybe the show isn't performing as well as they wanted to. And maybe they did this to, again, try to sort of push more awareness of it. Um, You know, it's, it's hard to tell, but I'm hoping that this also could be a thing. I mean, just like how we know they're finally starting to dip their toes in the water of doing like physical media releases for the Disney plus shows, Um, you know, doing theatrical screenings of especially some of these big event episodes like this for like the Star Wars and Marvel stuff is also something that people have been asking for and been like, hey, I'll I'll keep my Disney Plus subscription and still go pay to see like a Mandalorian episode premiere or finale or whatever in a movie theater. Um, So maybe this is, I'm hoping that this is just kind of a test run and seeing that they got a lot of interest for it, that we might get yeah. screenings well, like this for for future stuff. So. Like, like I said, what's what we're gonna put a giant pin in this for weeks down the line when Ahsoka's done, and we and we're done talking about Ahsoka in like you know two months. So because we're gonna have plenty of dead air, yeah. not from us, but like from like you know for episodes to talk about. And this is honestly ripe for the picking. And Star Wars is a big, 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 big reason. So anyway. What's we can yeah, move on? No, definitely. There's, there's yeah, a yeah. we we could do a whole other episode about that kind of stuff, but um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I mean, you know, getting back to the story, we talked about the the whole thing with Jason and everything. Um, and then we go back to Anakin and Ahsoka dueling in the world between worlds. We see Anakin do some more, you know, kind of some of his familiar lightsaber moves that we've seen him do in Revenge of the Sith and stuff. Um, and there's even just during this duel, like some great banter between him and Ahsoka too, that feels so in character for both of them. Um, and then, uh, you know, she kind of like gets a, a kick on him. It, it does this like spinning kick and kicks him across the face and, you know, kind of gets a move in on him and says something like, uh, you know, seems like you don't have anything left to teach me. And he's like, Oh, I haven't taught you everything yet. And just uses lightsaber and, slashes off like the end portion of the bridge that she's standing on and so she you know she's just falling through space and the clouds and everything that are in the world between worlds and it starts getting like foggier and you can kind of tell she's falling into like this cloud layer and it's like all right here we go we're you know she's gonna fall into like a different environment we're probably gonna start seeing some flashbacks or something um and sure enough it transitions into the scene where uh you know, it's kind of like smoky and foggy and you see her her silhouette on the ground. And as she's slowly getting up, you realize, oh, this is a younger Ahsoka. Um, and then clone troopers start running out of the smoke, like towards the towards the camera. Um, and, you know, then Anakin comes in the middle of it, ignites his lightsaber and, you know, he's leading the charge into battle. Um, and it's still Hayden playing Anakin, but in the Clone Wars armor uh and it's uh ariana greenblatt as the actress who's playing the young ahsoka and she's the same one that played young gamora in infinity war um 
but we're seeing, you know, teenage Ahsoka and, and young Anakin, like together in the Clone Wars, in their Clone Wars outfits, surrounded by clone troopers. I'm pretty sure this first scene is supposed to be on Ryloth because you see some Twi'leks in here as well. Um, and, you know, and Ahsoka even says she's like, oh, this is the Clone Wars. And Anakin's like, yeah, you know, and he's he's just, you know, like, come on, keep up snips. And they're charging into battle. Um, but it's cool because it, this isn't just like a flashback scene that we're watching as like just sort of third party observers from the audience. It's like this is sort of Ahsoka experiencing this almost as a memory um but even though we're seeing like young ahsoka how she would have appeared in that time it's it's like the character is still the older ahsoka like we're just seeing her in her younger body but she's like whoa what's going on like this is the clone wars like this is one of our our first missions together like you know what's going on what are we doing here um and so it's almost like a like a ghost of christmas past present and future kind of thing i think tim had maybe even mentioned that on the last episode like that was a possibility of you know kind of things that we might see like over the course of her life um but it's like you know it's like present day ahsoka going back and reliving these memories um and anakin kind of guiding her through them but as you said there's there's kind of some room for interpretation there as far as like is it anakin is it the force kind of speaking to her through anakin um and honestly i will talk about this more as we kind of get to the end of it i think it's kind of a bit of both because especially the you know even from the beginning of the you know when he says i have a final lesson to teach you and he says um you know live or die and it's essentially i think this whole thing really is the force kind of offering her a choice to to you know return to the fight and live or to uh you know after reliving sort of all this trauma and stuff that she's been through just be like okay you can you know you can call it a day and hang it up or you can get back in the fight and choose to live and so i think it's it's like the force that's presenting that choice to her but it's it you know anakin that's the one that's you know coming to her and speaking to her and sort of presenting that choice but also I mean, we know that, uh, you know, sort of the lineage of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and now Anakin, like they can preserve their identity in the Force after death. But at the same time, they're also part of the Force. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, you know, it's kind of open to interpretation there. I've seen, you know, already like sort of a variety of different theories and stuff on, uh, you know, sort of what all is going on here. But so, just, I mean, first of all, just just well just, uh, real quick i just want to say on you know on the surface it's just really cool to see this clone war stuff in live action um and to see anakin in the armor to see you know young ahsoka and you know she just killed it with the performance um fantastic job fantastic. yeah it, it it just was so cool to see that but then what it meant for the story thematically um i thought was excellent as well and i think it worked to you know like i've heard some people say like oh you know this was just fan service and like it didn't really advance the story and oh, it's like, well, no. no i think i think the the themes and again the choices that she's presented with and you, like i think it very much serves the story um but also for the audience that you know the people that didn't watch clone wars like this is kind of a little catch up to them um because we've heard her talk about these things even in the premiere like she mentions having trained with anakin and that she left him before the end of the clone wars and stuff um, but now we're really seeing 
you know, what her early life was like, what her dread, what her Jedi training was like, what it was like to be a Padawan under Anakin Skywalker and all of these things that have sort of informed her character as we know her now. Um, and I think, I know we talked about this earlier. I forget if you said this on the show or if we were talking about it off the air, but the, the fact that some people have kind of been critical of Ahsoka being very like stoic and kind of standoffish and um, kind of like, I don't know if you'd say boring or dull, but just kind of, you know, in the animated show, she was a lot more kind of expressive and emotional. And we haven't really seen that from her in this show, but you're kind of seeing why, like you're seeing all the things that she's been through. Um, and the way that that is, you know, like at the age that she's at, it's all just kind of piled up and it's weighing on her. And I think at the end of all this, she has to choose to let it go and still, you know, live. But again, we'll, we'll get to that, but, um yeah it was just you like just, it, yeah you're opening pandora's box here with everything I'm i know i know they were this, whole, this whole episode was a pandora's box so i've been thinking about this for the past couple days as much as i've been just dwelling on the episode itself i was like how am i gonna get get my thoughts across concisely well, on this episode because i feel like i'm just gonna end up pinballing in all these different directions so and first of all you're also like you're telling me which way to the end of the episode to get really deep into this you're like oh, there's this and there's this i'm like what are you doing you're like oh, i oh know God. i know i know you suck all right, all right i will do my best to not to do because this is where it gets really layered um and feloni teases it with the the fight on the the platforms of the world between worlds and you know the thing about it is um with Anakin and, and Ahsoka and all this kind of coming together, it serves so many different purposes. And I, and I've gone on record saying, I think this is definitely Anakin Skywalker. Now you brought up a good point saying, is it Anakin? Is it the force? You know, what, why, why is Anakin there to teach her a lesson? I, and this is where we don't know if it's the force or Anakin. And I think it's kind of both because I always go back to listening to um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, line where he tells Luke where he's like, well, you know, kind of, you know, the force a little bit. And he's like, you know, partially, but obeys your commands, you know, kind of a thing. Mm. I, I kind of think the force works for you in that, in this world that we're in, right. In, in the star Wars. And then when you get to um, the nether world of the force or the world between worlds, it's not like you serve the force, but the force and you are working together more in, in and in, in, uh, not incoherently but coherently is what i'm trying to say like you're more in line in sync you could say and i think that that's what it's he's serving the force but it's like they both are getting like they're both doing something for the greater good or the greater of the galaxy the way it's supposed to because that's where and i think that to me is what it if that makes any sense kyle like i feel i feel it's both of them working to the, the what you know force knows that soka needs to learn this and it has to be through Anakin and Anakin knows that he, he, ha he knows how to get to, through Ahsoka better than anybody. I think we'd all would agree to that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we're getting here. And I think that there it's so layered because there's a, again, I don't know how much you want to get into because there's, there's a, there's this scene particularly has, or this whole sequence to me has, I think the biggest, some of the biggest implications of, I think where Star Wars may be going forward to be quite honest. Um, if you want to get into that, or do you want me to wait? I'm going to give you a heads up now. So it's up to I you. I would say, hold on. I mean, 
Like, I want to hear what you have to say, but also it's like we could go so long on this. Like, I feel like there's enough to talk about just with what this all means okay. within uh, this story. All right, let me just I'm just going to say it and you can you can choose to go on it later on if you want. But I'm just going to say it now because I do feel there's there's because to me, the groundwork of Ahsoka is more in more so in this one than in Siege of Mandalore uh, flashback. I think it's more rooted in this. This to me is the essence of why Anakin is the one teaching her, to be honest, in my opinion. Um, if you wanted to like, if because if I had to choose between the two of flashbacks, and I think the why Anakin's here, it's this scene particularly, where it, which is incredible for a, a multiple levels of live action clone troopers, Ahsoka, or excuse me, Anakin in his regular uh, Clone Wars garb, which looked incredible, by the way. I mean, you couldn't like you know we all thought like it might be how cheesy would it look i never thought in a million years we'd ever get this like i don't care how we got it the fact we got hayden christensen in a clone wars accurate costume is like next level and it looked fantastic and and mm -hmm. hayden just looked just incredible in it and which hayden by the way i i just he's been doing so well in these in these roles like in these you know going back as anakin and he just really has owned the character and it really, and people want to complain about, you know, episode two. And I, I was one of those people back in the day and I, and, but even, but I, I, even to my credit, I'm going to say this too. I've always credited against George more than Hayden because of the direction. Cause I've always loved him in revenge of the Sith. Always. I've always defended revenge. Revenge of the Sith has always been the movie. Where I'm like, no, no, you shut the hell up. That movie's <laughs> great. And he's a big reason why. There are a couple scenes that are kind of cringy, but it's not really because of him because I, you can see what he does in the rest of the movie. It's because George is like, you know, there's a line in here. That's not George strong suit. We all, you know, I, I can go on for hours about that, but I love George still. Um, seeing Hayden bring so much gravitas and so much like dynamic to this role and to these scenes is just fantastic. And I think one of the reasons why I think this works so well is because of Hayden. And there's a couple things in this line and in the scene that's so great. And part of it is like, he's, you know, it's, he's a, come on snips, you know, we're fighting, you know, we're fighting for this war. And she's like, you know what? And, and I, I always forget, like, I didn't really catch it until I realized kind of, I think in the siege of Mandalore that this is no, this is Ahsoka like character as a little girl, like back to her, her, her younger self. You know, but same, you know, person, you know, experiences, whatever. And one of the things I love about it is you're it's informing us of why she is who she is now because mm -hmm. of the war. Right. I know you exactly. want exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I won't I won't dive too much into that. There's we can go a lot in that. And I will say that. So you got to remember that's where it's informing. And when you have the flash forward of him going forward in the in the, in the thing, you know, flashes as dark, it's like. You know, it's again, it's warning her. This is where this is. Le it could lead. Right. And. But, you know, when it when it wait, you're talking about when it has the flash of him as Darth Vader, because there's two of them. There's right. the one. There's the first one where they're in war. Right. And, but neither neither of those are a flash forward, though. No, because no, no. Like, I, I mean, I mean, flash forward figuratively to like what he becomes. Not well, right, right, right. But it's not. It's not like a warning. It's like she already knows. 
Well, hold on. It's it's like well, hold her, on. It's I, like I'm her done experiencing those memories before she knew that, but then with I, the with the current knowledge of oh, but then he would go on to become this. But but there's there, it's an, it's important that she sees that because let me explain. Because I think he to me you know again this is where we can go on this this is how genius the script is and how well it's it's not just the script because. There are lots of things and stories that do these like, you know, deeper meaning things and they can they can get lost really easy and be very bad. Dave Filoni writes, I think, very abstractly and uh, layered um, with Star Wars so perfectly that it's just like it's perfect. But not only that, it's easier to do that in animation when you have full control of every single little thing and detail of the characters themselves. Whereas when you're dealing with human beings and you can't always, you may not always get what you want, you know, from roles and, and camera angles and whatnot. Like it's a lot more controlling in animation opposed to live action. I think, we, I can, I think you can understand what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. The fact he's able to, uh, to not only get right really well on this, on the page, but get it on the screen perfectly is really impressive to be quite honest. Um, I'm just going to say it. I think it's very impressive because when you when you're looking at this abstract stuff because i i do feel that it's a cautionary tale and i think that's what to me where she because she was headed down a road and but i think she needed to learn what was going on because there's multiple things because to me it's 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 a double layered lesson like it's because when you get when you get a lesson of anything right it's not always just one thing you learn right a lesson could be multiple things you learn within the lesson correct but it's just sometimes the, the bigger one leads to little things and that's what i kind of look at this whole thing as it's it's anakin is teaching her a very big lesson but it has so much little things and little like nuggets that she'll she'll take from that and to me when she comes in and she's seeing the war around her right and then she sees him, you know, what he what he eventually becomes is Darth Vader. There's that my favorite scene in the whole, I think, in the whole episode at this point right now. Again, it's early. I, I don't know, but it's one of them. It may be my favorite. I don't know. When she's by herself and she's holding the Clone Wars hand, the Clone Soldier's hand, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just like, it, it, and again, you look back at what it's almost like she, to me. I and I'm projecting my, myself on this. I'm projecting the fact that she's thinking about all that she's gone through and who she's lost in this war she's fighting and how, and look what it's turned her into. Look what she's in the Mandalorian. She's a freaking Ronin. She's just kind of aimlessly like looking for a Thrawn. Right. And that, and again, that's not, she's not doing anything bad, but she's kind of like doing her own thing. Mm -hmm. And you go into the Balin stuff where she full on attacks him first. Like she is the aggressor. Yeah, and she's she's that way in the Mandalorian too, where like mm -hmm. we start off that episode and she's chasing those guys through the forest. Like we don't know if they attacked her first. I mean, to be fair, I, the first thing we see, I mean, they're shooting at her, but like they're retreating. That, that's you know, fair. like that's fair. That's it, fair. it's almost like she's hunting them, and we know that they're the bad guys, but it does seem to be more aggressive than what we normally see from yeah. the Jedi. And and at right. the time, I was like, okay, you know, just an introductory Ahsoka action sequence, whatever. But I think that was, I think Dave's been playing the long game. Here I 100 agree. After mm -hmm. seeing this episode, I was like, oh, I'm seeing that in a new context because, yep. um, 
Well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you finish with that because I've got more on this and it's jumping. No, you're good. Ahead, yeah, you're good. But... Yeah, I'm almost okay. done. I, I apologize. Well, the... okay. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And really quickly. So what my favorite part is, is this, Kyle, and it, 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 it dovetails, I think, what, what we're all talking about here, which is great. This is, this is great stuff. In my, not what I'm saying, but what Dave has written. Um, when she's, you know, when she's kind of looking, I think she's looking at that clone soldier of, of a, I think of that moment of, and also what she's kind of like all the trail that it's, that's gone behind her. That to me is what it represents. Right. And then when Anakin sees her, he's like, you know, they're having that conversation and she's like, is all is, is a war, you know, like, is this is all we're good for, you know, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but there's a couple lines in here that I, I know verbatim that I think are, is brilliant. And he's like, you know, this is different times, Ahsoka. And he said, you know, when I, when, and when, when Obi-Wan taught me, we were keepers of the peace. I am, you know, you're, you're my pad of one now, and I have to train you to be a soldier. And he says, you're part of the legacy. And this is, this, this is the biggest key, in my opinion, is when he tells her this. And I, I posted it on Twitter today. I don't know if you saw it, Kyle, but I said, I posted the line where he says, you have to adjust to the times, Ahsoka. And that to me, that's the line I've been clinging to because what has she been doing this whole time? She's like, she's aimless and she hasn't adjusted. She hasn't figured out where her role is. She's like, you know, you know, in rebels, what does she say? I am no Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. Like I refuse. I'm this, uh, the Jedi are this, uh, uh, and she's not wrong, right? She's not wrong. And that's what makes that line of Anakin and this whole lesson brilliant because he's, he's telling her you're part of the legacy, right? Uh, you know, I learned something completely different than you learned. And when you take a pedal, and this is what's key, when you can take a Padawan, you'll pass on what we've learned on to her. And then, you know, so it'll be different. And she's like, and he goes, do you even want a Padawan? And she's like, uh, you know, again, because she's aimless. And she tried to do it before, but she had no purpose at the time. She had no, there was no direction because she was like, I don't want to be this or be that. And we, we even wondered like, why did she want to take a Padawan in the first place? Right? Like these are great things we can't wait to get into for supplementary material that Dave will hopefully let us have. I mean, I'm sure we will at some point. Um, but when he says to her, you have to adjust to the times, you know, and he says, you know, I have to train you to be a soldier. And I, you know, but I was trained to be a keeper of the peace. It just shows you. And he's and Dave Filoni to me is telling us Ahsoka is going to be something different, which we get at the end of the episode mm -hmm. because she's adjusting to what she needs to be, which is effing brilliant storytelling. And it's well, brilliant. yeah. And I mean, there's so many, there's so many lines in here that have, yeah. you know, sort of dual meanings, like within the flashback itself, but then you could apply it differently to the current time, like you said, because when he says we have to adapt to the times, he's talking about Jedi that are supposed to be peacekeepers that now have to adapt to being soldiers. But you also could extrapolate that to Ahsoka needing to adjust to the times that she's in and, and be something different. Um, there's also a line in there where she says, um, I think it's at the very beginning of the flashback where, you know, she's kind of standing around confused because again, this is like current day Ahsoka's, you know, brain or like point of view. And we're just seeing it through, you know, her, her teenage, her essence, it's, body. It's her essence basically. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, it's like, we're seeing her experience this as a memory almost. Um, 
And so with her being like, wait, where are we? Like, this is the Clone Wars. And Anakin's like, yeah, come on, keep up, Snips. Um, and I think she says something to the effect of like, you know, I don't understand. And he's like, yeah, that's your problem. Um, and even that to me, like, kind of stuck out. Like, she's too, like, in the, the modern day, she's too, like, trying to control the situation. Um, too afraid to act on something when she doesn't fully understand it or something like that. Um, but just like, you know, yeah, so, so much of that, that conversation with Anakin, um, it's like, yeah, you know, it's applicable in one way to the circumstances that they're in, but then you can apply it differently to what that means to her in the current day and the ways that she needs to move on and adapt. I also think so much of this is, again, just showing her her trauma and like the the weight that she has on her shoulders and the way that all this stuff is still impacting her i mean we see the scene where she's with the clone trooper and it's talking about uh you know this is all my fault like i got them killed and you know i'm responsible for these soldiers deaths she probably still feels that as a you know 45 year old adult or however old she is now thinking back to when she was a 16 year old fighting in a war and you know obviously like she, it's not like she killed clones like you know it was the droids that were killing them but she was making decisions on the battlefield that were affecting you know who lived and died and like i think i feel like this is the first time that we're really sort of i mean brief as it is i mean you know you sort of read a lot of your own experience into this being a longtime fan of clone wars and stuff but seeing this it's like it's the first time we've really kind of dived into ahsoka's mentality and mindset especially as an adult and seeing how this stuff would still be affecting her like you know you it's easy to think in the in the story like oh yeah she's a jedi and she's often doing different stuff and you know she's worried about thrawn and saving the galaxy and you know clone wars was a long time ago but then you think about it just from a human standpoint and it's like yeah of course that would still weigh on your conscience like of course you would still think about that stuff um and then we see, you know, the stuff with Anakin and how he trained her. And again, when like at the end of this first flashback, when he's marching off with the clones and then it has that transition where it, it just flashes to him as Vader for a second. Um, it's like, you know, what does what does that mean for Ahsoka? How does she feel about that? Knowing that the guy who trained her ended up becoming Darth Vader and that, you know, I to jump ahead here a little bit like in the second flashback is when they talk a lot about how like i have all of the knowledge and experience of my master and him before him and you know i think that's when he's talking about the legacy and he says like you will have all of all of my knowledge or whatever he says like all that i am is in you and it's almost like she doesn't want that because it's like you turned out to be darth vader so like what does that mean for me if you know if all of you rubbed off on me. It's like, there's parts of that that I don't want, even as much as, you know, there's parts of it where like we were really close and I loved you like a brother. And, you know, you were uh, in some ways a great mentor and in some ways not so great. I feel like we even see that in some of these flashbacks too, the way that he's kind of cracking jokes, you know, as she's like mourning the, the deaths of these troopers. And it's like, um, you know, you see the way that she was forced to grow up in this war and the way that Anakin mentored her and guided her through that. But you also forget how young Anakin was himself during this. 
And like, he wasn't perfect. Like as much as he was a, a great and powerful Jedi and everything before he fell, like he wasn't a perfect teacher. And so I think you see kind of how some of his, his shortcomings and his mistakes affected Ahsoka too. But then especially the fact that he turned out to be Darth Vader, like that's got to still be weighing on her too. Just like knowing what happened to her friend, but also knowing I was trained by that guy. Like he, he taught me things like his personality and his, his powers and his way of doing things. Like part of that is in me now. So what does that mean about me? Like, do I have the capacity to be that bad? Um, and I think these well, are all things that are weighing on her that we have to see her just kind of process and let go of in, you know, in order to sort of make this transition. Wait, and I think that's the thing. One of the, the obviously the lesson is to live or die. Right. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, it's so many different, you know, uh, layers because it's, the, it's literally, literally like what Luke had to learn. Right. We, we, which we, we got hints of where he's like, you know, we, at the end, the end battle, you could say, and, you know, because he's like, you know, are you going to like fight for your life or are you just going to let you know, wilter? But I feel like it also represents a, a deeper meaning in a sense of where he's saying to her, are you going to sit there and waste your life? as just aimless Jedi. Or are you going to be something more? And that to me, because because, again, what you know, you're going to appreciate this and maybe everyone's going to get it. But bear with me, people in christian uh you know works uh they say faith without works is dead and i feel that's kind of what he's not like that verbatim but you get that high, whole idea if you're not doing anything then you're dying you're wasting away mm. and that to me i also is what i think he's saying to her it's it's a literal do you live or die at this moment but it's also for her rest of her life because at this moment, if she does live, is she just going to like just be that aimless, like angry Jedi? Because look at where it leads to. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like the whole mm -hmm. and that's what Anakin represents to her is like there's a goodness in Anakin. She recognizes that but there's darkness in him, too. And, and that's why it's it's why it's so good when he says to her um, or when she says to him, like, yeah, Anakin, but you're way too powerful. Was, oh, that's what this is about. Like you're gonna call me out for like for you know what I, this this dark side and this part of me it was awful that he that he has capable in him but what does that mean and that's what he's trying to explain to her is like are you gonna keep living or are you gonna be aimless and die slowly like I did and became more machine than man like again it's not like banging you over the head with it but there's subtlety there because yeah. you know and that's why I love this episode because it's both literally live or die. But it's also to me, are you going to waste your life or are you actually going to do something with it, with your power? Again, yeah. I, I hate I hate to say like to use my favorite fictional character of all time and in, in, on the Star Wars podcast. But Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Are you going to waste it on making money or are you going to actually save people? And that's kind of what I feel like that that's what Anakin was teaching her. Yeah. And that's why he said, like, you know, we have to adjust to the times. I had to teach you to be a soldier, but. You could be something more. He's not, and again, you don't have to say it out loud, but that's what he's telling her. And she's learning that because yes, she went through some crap, but if she lets it get to her and overcome her and get Sith eyes, like we got, mm -hmm. and she gives in, then she will die. Her internal yeah. self will die. So anyway, I know you have something to say to that, but this is why this episode's so goddamn brilliant. Well, he also says that her, 
when and oh this is another one of the ones i wanted to bring up that kind of had a, a dual meaning where she's you know grieving the loss of the clone troopers and you know he's like you know we and this is when he's telling her like you know yeah obi-wan trained me to be a, a peacekeeper but i have to train you to be a soldier and you know like to win this war we have to fight and she's like well, what if i don't want to keep fighting and again you can see this with um you know, like it makes sense coming from teenage Ahsoka in the Clone Wars that like as a kid is still trying to adjust to all this that she wouldn't want to fight. But also as adult Ahsoka, you know, sort of speaking through this or, you know, this sort of still being from her perspective, it's like she's been fighting for, her whole, you know, fighting her whole life, fighting the Separatists, fighting the Empire, fighting the Sith, now, you know, fighting Balin and trying to fight against Thrawn. And she's like, what if I'm just tired? And then Anakin says uh you know she says what if i what if i don't want to keep fighting and he says then you'll die and it's like that in itself is kind of a, a double-edged thing because it's like on the one hand that could be him just talking in the sense of the clone wars it's like that could be a bad thing um but also it's like not just fighting in terms of fighting war but like continuing the fight like keep going like you have to um you know, like you were saying, like, find a purpose and, you know, just not let your life kind of, you know, not have meaning. Um, it was interesting that you brought up, like, the faith without works thing, because I feel like with her, it's almost the opposite. It's like she's doing, I feel like she's doing the works, but has lost her faith a little bit. Because she's still committed to fighting the good fight, to doing what's right. Good point. Yeah, um, good point. You know, to, to stopping Thrawn and fighting the bad guys and everything. But she just she's missing something and you see by the end of this episode she has that thing back and whether that is her connection with anakin or her faith in the force or just her you know joy and passion for life like she finds something through this lesson with anakin that she's been missing this whole time um and it's funny because you know again going back to talking about like how she's been kind of stoic and, and standoffish and maybe not super likable or whatever, like all these criticisms that people have had. And I've been like, yeah, I could see that a little bit, but like, I'm still enjoying the character. I'm still enjoying the show. Like I still think, and again, I've always said like, it just makes sense for the character at the point that she's at after all the things that she's been through in her life, that she would be kind of stoic and have a chip on her shoulder and all that. Um, but, you know, now seeing in hindsight, it's like that was all intentional. Dave set that all up for her to have this transformation in this episode, to do the transformation to Ahsoka the White, you know, from the end of Rebels that we all were like, hey, you know, are we going to get back around to that? And Dave's like, oh, don't worry. I got something special in store for that. And you see just a, a complete shift in the character. Um, and I, I, there's more that I want to say about that that I'm trying not to jump too far ahead. But just it's uh, it's so dang good, man. It's like um yeah it's it's the the layers here and everything are just it's some of the best stuff we've ever got the thing is what i want to tread very carefully here but you talked about it's just written so well and playing the long game it feels like dave filoni and i'm not saying dave filoni was like this flawless writer i know i had again i've had seen people like criticize Dave, he's a writer's room. We, you even said like you could get a writer. I don't. I still don't think so. I don't care. I don't have to have Tony Gilroy 
like level, you know, action drama scenes for me to get Star Wars. Like I, to me, Star Wars is a lot more accessible than what Tony Gilroy will ever give me. Sorry, just gonna say right now, I'm 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 fed up with Tony hearing Tony Gilroy talk about how Star Wars is this and make it more like Breaking Bad or Sopranos. Like, shut the hell up. Like I'm done. Like I can't wait for Andor season two to be done because I, I I love Andor, but I want him to be gone from Star Wars. Just get him the hell away. Like I'm I'm done. Um, and people can just shut up about him and stuff like that. So. I just got to say it. I'm annoyed um, because I, I look at this and I think that Dave Filoni represents like this, what George wants to do, but he's actually a more capable storyteller overall. Not, not, I think George is the ultimate storyteller, but I feel like Dave is the ultimate well-rounded storyteller to tell the kind of stories that George always wanted to tell but does it in a way that's way more accessible, but yet not just 100% like, you know, throw in your cookie cutter, whatever you want, you know, story about, you know, spaceships and, you know, monsters or whatever. And there's so much, there's so many different layers of themes and you know, mysticism that George liked to get into, but Dave knows how to get into and have it be accessible to an audience without people being like, midichlorians, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. And this, and I, I want to talk about like this whole, like, this is a great example. I think how brilliant Dave is because Dave has to write around the budget. Correct. He has to write around, he, you know, and obviously he probably like had to write, think, take things back a little bit and, and whatever, but this is how great this is because the smoke of the flashback scenes both mm -hmm. show you and emphasize this is not real and also gets around the fact that like they have to be very careful of how much they show because they don't have a huge budget to show a giant clone war right off battle with battle yes. droids you know and i gotta tell you it's obvious but i just don't give an f because it's so damn good and it's it's executed to perfection and i mean that with all my heart you're well, and you're right. They make it. They make that aspect of it work so well within the story. Because again, if this was like, if it was a scenario where it's like we're supposed to just be watching a live action Clone Wars scene play out, just sort of objective third party viewing, you know, like if if the story was about the Clone Wars, then yeah, this would seem cheap and low budget. But the fact that it's a you know um of hazy memory from 30 years ago and it's all part of this like force vision and the the thrust of the story really is about ahsoka's experience and her relationship with anakin and how this is relating to the present it's not about the clone troopers and the battle droids and stuff um and so you're able to just show you know show just enough of it that like it still looks cool and it still looks good but the the you know the sort of haziness and the lack of detail almost enhances the scene even though it is a you know it clearly is a budget limitation but it it just serves to enhance what the scene is trying to do within the story as well so yeah that was just really cleverly done by dave there yeah and i, I and it's just I, we need to talk about how again like it's i know people would say like they they some people might be disappointed from like, they want like actual flashback scenes and, and like even the siege of Mandalore was, it was just, it was just, just enough of a hint and a tease that I just, I fell in love. It, it was just, again, 
it's a thought that counts a lot. I think with Star Wars fans, as long as it's ex- what you give us is executed well, it may not be exactly what we want, but it's so it's mostly there. Just you know whatever. And I, yeah, I thought he just used everything to perfection to really drive home. He cast it well. I mean, the the, the girl who played young Gamora and, and young Ahsoka was just incredible. She is just. I mean, I know she's in Barbie. I I don't know when I'll ever see Barbie, but like I'm sure I'll see it at some point in my life because I have a daughter um at some point when yeah. she's older. And she's good in that too. Like I I saw Barbie. She's really good at that too. Yeah. So like the so the thing is like we were getting just quality, quality writing about these characters and Ahsoka just it, it's it's really cool to see because you know we get the end of we still get the end of, of rebels and you can look at now the end of rebels could be interpreted different ways. And to be honest, I can interpret that as like still like before rep before Ahsoka, but you could, it could almost be out of continuity now because it's just this kind of almost like a foreshadow, like a kind of a weird foreshadow thing right there of like what it, it's not, what's going to, it's not what really at that moment what's happening but it's like almost like our own force vision of what's going to happen of like Ahsoka goes to Sabine and she's Ahsoka the white now, but even though it's like not really how it works in, in the new continuity, if that makes any sense. And again, it doesn't really, it contradicts, I guess, in some ways, but it, you could look at it as like almost like a foreshadow within the rebels, right? Like it's a weird, our own force vision, if you will, if you, you know, we just didn't know how to interpret it. Right. That's the way I, I look at it now in some ways. And I think that, with with this you know everyone's you know it's so funny kyle because if you go online and i've been looking for the new costume which we'll get here in a second um but when you get to like all these different like uh web websites and articles that i'm like looking for these costume pics of everyone's like you'll never guess what mrs you know what mysticism of our what fantasy character ahsoka is based off of now it's like oh my god (laughs) get off the white it's like guys i get i get it like I almost think it's overblown a little bit, a little bit, because Gandalf. I I I try to get into. I love I love the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings stories, but I'm never gonna be able to get into the weeds of that because it's way too complex and and like way too smart for me. Uh, that's why I stick to Star Wars. Very basic. Even the weird stuff is basic. Um, Gandalf is just like what the Balrog and how and I, ugh, it's like I, it's hard. Um, but what I think is interesting is that we the get that literal transition of how she becomes this to that was so it's 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 really cool to see that that character change and that's something that you know if i don't i don't know how sure how much you want me into it right now but i'll just dive in a little bit it's really cool to see that natural progression of and using a character like anakin and i kind of thought about this too it was interesting i talked about how you know what they almost are kind of hinting at the future, not just of the series, but I think of the future of Jedi. I still think we are, we argued about this, but last week, I still think, I still, I still think Ahsoka is going to be in the other galaxy. I think there's going to be somehow she's, there's going to be somehow, somehow they're going to be in that galaxy stuck there in some ways, what she, at the very end, or she chooses to go back there because the force is telling her to go back there and, and do something or whatever. And I do feel at some point there will be a, a, a reckoning, a good reckoning of Jedi coming together. And I do think that when Anakin tells her, take everything you've learned 
and adjust it and, and take it for yourself and adjust with the times. And I think that she realized the Jedi were one way. And I almost think if you go, if you, again, I, I'm just going to bring the sequel trilogy and I'm going to use last Jedi as a, as a good way, to be honest, Kyle, you would be shocked because what is, what does Luke do? Luke's like, I, I'm into the Jedi and try to build it for what it was, you know, what we all, what we all thought he was going to do. But Ahsoka's almost going to do what we all thought like Luke would eventually do at some point and, and take it to the next level. I feel that that's what we're going to get. Luke was like, you know, did his best and, and, and put too much emphasis on the old ways maybe. And all of a sudden Ahsoka through Anakin, the surrogate daughter to the father or to the, to the son is that you get what I'm getting at here. The legacies of both of their, of Anakin are working in different ways and how through Luke and through his son, the Jedi get formed through the new Jedi, through Rick Skywalker, through a dip one avenue to learn. And then through Anakin Skywalker, the circuit daughter, the, you know, the Padawan, a new circuit goes through and they eventually come together to form this new Jedi of some, it, it, you get what I'm saying? Like there's, it feels like that's where we're headed because Ahsoka is representing a, a great, a, almost a different kind of, we've never seen this kind of Jedi before at this point, like transitioning to this whole idea. At least we're, it feels like we're headed that direction uh, thematically. And I think figuratively too, um, because of how she looks now, there's that little transition of a character, the costume. So it just feels like we're getting this gradual way of the Jedi are going to be changing. And we're seeing the growing pains of the Jedi uh, changing through ahsoka and luke in different aspects is that am i making am i crazy on this i mean am i I'm obviously this is projecting and you're gonna have to adjusting that a little bit but i feel that that's where maybe feloni is taking it in some ways at this point i mean who knows you're you're projecting way farther than i'm even worried about right now i know we're getting a movie with ray and the new jedi order and stuff it's like could it's not Ahsoka... that far on the corner, dude. It's not that far on the corner. It's right oh, I know, I know. I'm just saying. Right now, my brain is just I'm I'm but focused in this. Re- but, but I think all the stuff that they're building with Ahsoka and the Mandoverse and Thrawn and everything, it's sort of bridging that gap to the sequel trilogy. I, again, I know we're getting a new movie soon, but like, as far as what comes after the sequel trilogy, I'm not even worried about that right now. And no, I'm, I'm not, not. I'm not worried about it either. But I'm just saying, like. It, I my mind starts going to because there's because Filoni takes what he because this prequel trilogy is a great example of taking what is given and if there's and it's flawed. I've in a vacuum by itself, it is a flawed three films, you know, or a trilogy. Very, very flawed. But if you take it out of the vacuum, which you have to in these things, you have to, you, it gets better with the supplementary material and the Clone Wars and the all that stuff, right? It all gets better, in my opinion. And I think Ahsoka, it feels like they're going the direction. Even if you take the sequel trilogy out, Ahsoka is going the direction that we all thought Luke would be going down, period. I think that's inarguable. At least for I me. don't know about that because I don't think we've, I mean, we thought that Luke was going to go the route of rebuilding the Jedi Order. I don't know that that is Ahsoka's. Uh, now, they are heavily she, hinting at. Jason, could, Sabine, Ezra. I mean, it's like well, right. Of, but yeah. but where does Luke fit into all this with the Jedi Order that he is currently building right now? 
that, um, that's that, that's what I'm that, that's what I'm saying though. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't want to. I'm not worried about the future, but because we've already have Luke's failure, I think that they are representing different aspects of the Jedi. And I think, like I said, I think we're almost seeing. You could almost write it like we're seeing the Jedi's growing pains and the Jedi's growth through these major characters like Ahsoka, Luke, and Ray. Because I do think Ray Skywalker is going to represent a big portion of that of like the cult. Because she, to me, Ahsoka represents like the greater Jedi Order outside of the Skywalkers, even though it's through again. I think it's brilliant because he's using the chosen one. The you could say, as my friend Nico, Mister Baby, has texted me. He said that he represents the the father. He's the literal father of these these Jedi going forward figuratively and, and and biologically or whatever. And then the legacies of Anakin, because Ray is still part of that legacy because Palpatine's part of that legacy, you know? And she now took on the name of Skywalker because she better. She feels that that represents her, who she is of Luke and Leia and that legacy and that she's right. And I think that's, what's brilliant is that through Anakin, Luke, and then down to Ray. And then from now we have uh, Ahsoka, the old Padawan, you know, surrogate, I call, I call her surrogate daughter. Um, you know, that whole thing, it's all through the Jedi will be still built in the foundation, basically through Anakin Skywalker, because Luke learned his lesson through, uh, Anakin when he says, I won't fight you. And then, you know, that whole thing. And then what we have that almost here for, you know, mirroring when he says, I've heard that before, which is, I, I will not, you know, I won't fight you. So I've heard that before. And it's like, it's just brilliant. In, in that context, it feels like Dave Filoni is putting Anakin at the center, but not like, not obviously, but it's, he is essentially like the chosen one because the Jedi gets resurrected, even though it's not exactly through what we thought it was going to be, it's being resurrected through the legacy of Anakin Skywalker in many different ways. I'm going to say again, that's my assumption that she'll survive and she'll teach other Jedi. That's my assumption and Grogu, by the way wink wink um <laughs> but you get we get what i'm saying though like it's kind of brilliant because if the father in the mortis trilogy is saying that you're you know you're the chosen one that's and we you know in your prophecy may, may have been mis misread it may have been that's maybe what dave was setting up is like through anakin through a different the legacies of anakin represent that legacy those legacies little literally ahsoka and luke and what they bring down to whatever they are, whether it be Grogu, uh, Jason, Sabine, or Ray, Kylo Ren, all of that is through the legacies of those, of, of all through Anakin. It's pretty brilliant. And it honestly goes back to Anakin being the chosen one. It's pretty brilliant, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, again, just I feel like for me with this story, I mean, yeah, maybe they're going to do more stuff with. I mean, I hope we get to see Anakin and Luke together at some point and, and have, and, you know, have Luke talk to Anakin's force ghost or see more of uh, Ahsoka and Luke together and figure out, you know, what that's going to mean for the future of the Jedi and all that. But for, I mean, I'm not even focused that far in the future. I'm just kind of, you know, enjoying the story as we're getting it right now. And even, you know, where we're at right now in the series, like we have no idea what's going to go down in the next three episodes except that we're going to be off in another galaxy trying to find Thrawn and Ezra and Sabine and all that. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I would I would love to get to a point where and I'm sure we will see more of this play out in future stories as far as like, what does this mean for the future of the Jedi? And is, you know, where does Ahsoka go from here? Is she going to take on a Padawan? Is she going to help Luke rebuild the Jedi Order? Is she going to try to, you know, build her own thing? Like, I don't know. Um, but just, uh, you know, go, coming back to like these flashbacks and stuff, I just really enjoyed seeing this transition from, you know, of her getting to a point where she would even want to do that um and do it you know sort of joyfully and with this this energy and kind of zeal that we haven't really seen before um or at least you know haven't seen from her recently in this show but man i wanted to go back to that siege of mandalore flashback real quick because that was you know so after the first flashback on ryloth where you know it ends with that shot of anakin marching off with the clones and then you get the flash of him to vader um, and then, you know, it cuts to another scene of, uh, you know, Hera and the pilots, you know, kind of sweeping over the ocean and, um, you know, looking to try to find Ahsoka, um, which by the way, there's another moment I loved in here where Hera and Huyang are in the cockpit of the ghost and, uh, she gets a transmission from Jason and he's like, Hey mom, like chopper found something, uh, in the water, but you know, he says, you're going to, he's like, he gives her the coordinates and he's like, but you're going to have to go low. And she's like, uh, how low? And then you hear Jason off to the side talking to Chopper. She wants to know how low. Like, it just came off like such a funny, natural, like, kid thing. Um, just the, you know, little moment that just made him so endearing. Like, again, I'm I'm loving his character so much. Um, and then you get this really cool shot of, like, the ghost skimming over the top of the water. Um, and then it cuts back to another flashback where now we see Ahsoka in the the Mandalore outfit with the blue lightsabers and you know she's she's cutting through and like fighting Mandalorians and it, it took just a couple seconds of this for me to realize like oh shoot are we in the siege of Mandalore now and then sure enough it cuts to like a close-up of one of the mall like Mandalorian troopers with the horns on the helmet and stuff and that just blew my mind like I did not think we were going to get to see this stuff in live action it was so freaking cool again so well done visually even though it was you know, it was a bit limited, again, very like smoky and hazy. And you just see, you know, some outlines of like some of the buildings of Mandalore and, you know, gunships and ATTEs and stuff in the background. Um, but you get enough of the action to, you know, just get the point across. I think the the big thing here was just sort of the transition from the last scene to this one. So the first one was early in the Clone Wars where she's reluctant to fight. She's new to all this. Um and Anakin is like, hey, look, if we're going to survive this, I'm going to have to teach you to be a soldier. Um, and then we're cutting to three years later at the end of the war after she and Anakin have parted ways and she's on her own. And she is definitely holding her own as a soldier. And I mean, just the, you know, the lightsaber choreography here. And I don't know if it was uh, Ariana like doing all this herself or if she had a stunt double, but like this was impressive the way that she was just moving with the lightsabers and cutting down these, you know, the Mandalorians and stuff. Um, but again, really, you know, just hammering home that point of, you know, sort of her development and everything that she went through and showing how much she really did grow as a fighter and a soldier over those three years and seeing what Anakin and the war molded her into. Um, and again, how that still affects her now. Um, and the other thing too, I mean, you know, a lot of people have pointed this out, but I sort of immediately had this thought upon, you know, just seeing, um, seeing these flashback scenes and seeing her, you know, seeing young Ahsoka played in live action is like seeing her played by a, a live actress. You really do, 
you know, it sort of hammers home like how young she was during all this. Um, you know, you know from watching the Clone Wars that she was a kid, but like I feel like in in cartoons and animated shows, like young characters and kids and teenagers are thrust into ridiculous situations all the time. And so you don't really get sort of the gravity of like what it would be to be an actual child in that situation. Um, and so to see like, you know, I, and I think uh, Ariana Greenblatt, the actress that plays her, like, I think she just turned 16. Like I was looking this up earlier. I wanted to see like how old she is in real life. Um, so she was probably like 14 or maybe had just turned 15 when they were filming this. And you can tell like, she looks really young to the point that even in like the, when you see her in the siege of Mandalore, I was like, man, like I almost wish that they had made the the Leku like a little bit longer or, you know, maybe aged her up a little bit because um, she still kind of looks, you know, just as young as she did in the first flashback. But again, at the same time, I think it really serves to just hammer that point home. You're seeing how skilled she is on the battlefield and, you know, just how much experience she has and everything that she's been through. And she's still just a kid, um, even though, you know, she's supposed to be like 17 at that point, but like still not even a full-grown adult yet and she's got you know this this weight on her shoulders of being a commander in war and at this point she's separated from Anakin and now you know leading these clones by herself and everything of course I love that we get the Rex cameo in here as well like in the first flashback you kind of see him in the background but now we're seeing him like you know he's got a close-up in the phase two armor and you hear Tamara Morrison's voice get to say a couple lines to her so that was really cool um and then, of course, Anakin comes up and says, you know, oh, I don't recognize this battle. And, like, she's explaining it to him that, you know, oh, this was the Siege of Mandalore after I had left you. Um, but you realize, I like, I love the fact that, A, you're kind of seeing her growth from the beginning of the Clone Wars to the end of it. Because this was, you know, this is the final, the final battle, the final arc. Um, but also having this one be the one where, you know, she and Anakin start talking about legacy. And she... You know, he's like, oh, you're, uh, I think he says something like, you you know, I'm much more than that. and You can be much more. And she's like, yeah, you are much more, but like, you're more powerful and dangerous than anyone realized. Um, oh, I think it's it's when she's saying like, oh, my my part of this legacy is one of, of death and destruction. Um, and he's like, yeah, but you can be more than that, you know, just like I am. And she's like, yeah, but you're, you're more powerful and dangerous than anyone realized. And it's when, you know, it starts kind of transitioning into him being, vader and you know up to the point that he, he ignites the red lightsaber and he realized that it's like while she was fighting on mandalore is when all this stuff was happening like he was becoming vader at the same time and so it just thematically just it works so well to you know kind of see almost from her perspective like him going through that transition um and as she's kind of trying to refuse to fight him he's like nope back to the beginning like you gotta you know make this choice again you know live or die um and ignites the red ignites the red saber and just this quick duel that they have like seeing him fight young ahsoka and seeing them in the smoke on mandalore and like his red lightsaber against her blue ones is just a phenomenal visual i still get chills every time i watch it i want like just a framed image of that shot or something um again back to what i was talking about about just so many like instantly iconic star wars moments um in this episode both you know with like the story stuff and the thematic stuff but just also just the cool striking visual moments of things that we never thought we'd get to see in live action um it was just it was freaking awesome man well and, and i i just want to say that 
I think it's very telling too. Like you were bringing up how like all this was happening during, you know, while she was a Mandalore, he was turning. And mm -hmm. again, we're going back to what makes, I think Anakin invader such an amazing character and, or characters, I should say. Right. But when she said, well, my legacy is, is like yours is death. And, you know, she's, and then he says, but you're more than that, like me. And she refuses that. And basically trying to throw it back at him, like you made all these mistakes. And I think that's not the point what he was making. And that's what's so great is he throws it back at her like, no, 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 no. Like I'm not, because again, you could get into the hype of like, you can't, you do one good deed. You're all of a sudden saved. You know, that's a whole, that's what you, Kyle, you, you and I both know it's a whole different conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but the one thing that I think it's, that's telling about it is emphasizing what, why he's trying to teach us in the first place. Well, what we, what we've been talking about the whole life and death, like, are you going to do something with your life or whatever? Are you going to like sit and sulk that you did these things that you, you were part of a battle that you didn't really want to be a part of. And it sucked that you were a part of it. Are you going to sulk about it and, and be mad and, and use it like to like go around and like just doing crazy things against bad people because you were, you know, you were put in a situation that wasn't fair for you. Um, or are you going to move forward and do good deeds and do something good and do something, you know, good with your life. And instead of like, like Anakin, like Anakin could have wallowed and in just, in, in, in just, just let Luke suffer, but he didn't. He took his master and finally did what he needed to do and kill him. And like it took him out of his misery and saved the galaxy. And that to me is what, what he's trying to tell her. He's like, you, these things were bad, but doesn't mean you can't from here start living again. Are you going to live or die? And that to me is what makes that whole, this whole thing about her when she rejects it and puts it back at him. That's why he gets mad. It's not that he's, he's throwing it back at him. Like you're bad, Anakin. I think Anakin, he doesn't care, right? He doesn't care. He's trying to teach her like, listen, yeah, it sucks. Like it sucks. You did some bad things. You did some things that weren't, weren't fair for you, but get not get over it, but it's time to move on and do something that's, it's even better than what you thought. Right. Mm -hmm. Do something more. Okay. Well, and this if, is if you if you did, if you're if you want to reject that, that's fine, but reject it and do something good with it. Live. And that's yeah, I mean, when she like when she has that moment of of turning to darkness, she rejects it and says, no, I choose life. It's so brilliant. This is one of these moments to me where it almost feels like it's more the force offering her that choice where it's like. Yes, Anakin turned to the dark side. Yes, your master became Darth Vader. Yes, that's part of your legacy and part of who you are. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to you going to curl up and die or are you going to continue to keep living and, you know, just push on and move on from that? So, um yeah, but then, I mean, of course, then we get to see uh we get to see Hayden in action with the red lightsaber, which we've never seen before. Um, and uh, you know, he he starts off fighting, you know, the young Ahsoka and then kind of kicks her through this, you know, cloud of smoke and sort of back into the present on the bridge in the world between worlds, and they continue the fight there. And we get another moment where he's walking through, you know, he comes out of the smoke, uh, you know, all imposing and intimidating and there's another flash of, of going to Darth Vader but I'm glad they decided not to have her just like have a full-on duel with Darth Vader here 
because um, as cool as that would have been the to temptations see there we already got that yeah exactly like we, we've already seen that it would be cool to see it in live action but the i think it's so much more personal having it be just with anakin and especially like with the fact that you know recently we had um hayden in the obi-wan series as darth vader it's like having the the vader suit with the anakin under the mask and everything it's like we've been there done that um and uh you know we've seen ahsoka duel with vader and rebels before i think just having it be anakin just made it so much more personal um and again like seeing hayden with the red lightsaber was cool but also being able to see him with the sith eyes and then seeing like seeing the eyes turn yellow and then seeing them turn back from yellow um I think just, you know, worked so much better. But one of the things that I love about this, and I, I kind of was alluding to this earlier, this is one of just sort of the, the deeper layers of exploring like everything that she's been through and why she is the way that she is as a character. If you think about it, in so in Rebels, we see her with, uh, you know, we see her duel with Vader in on Malachor in Twilight of the Apprentice. And that's at the end of season two. She's not in season three at all. Really, all we see of her in season four is the episode in the world between worlds where Ezra pulls her out. And then she says, I'm going to go back to my own time. You know, she goes back to Malachor right after the battle and she says, I'll find you after. And that's the last time we see Ahsoka up until, you know, the stuff leading up to this and like Mando and Book of Boba Fett and everything. So we've never gotten to really see her explore the aftermath of that duel with Vader on Malachor, right? Like, I mean, you kind of see over the course of Rebel Season 2 of her trying to come to grips with the fact that Anakin became Darth Vader, but then coming face-to-face -face with him, having the duel with Vader, slashing the mask, you know, seeing Anakin's face telling her, you will die, and, you know, igniting his lightsaber and hearing Matt Lander's voice and everything. It's like, we really haven't spent much time with Ahsoka since then, and we haven't had a chance to see her kind of sit with that and process that. Um, and so I think that was a big part of this as well, and seeing her fight Anakin with the red lightsaber and with the Sith eyes and having to grapple with, like, this is who her master became. This is, you know, again, this is part of her legacy. This is part of the grief and everything that she's been through, and she still has to make this choice you know do i want to die or do i want to live and i think again we've talked about this already but like it's not just do i want to live it's do i want to move on from all this trauma it's like do i want to like everything that we see her go through in the flashbacks and everything it's like now she has to like put that behind her and choose to live um and choose to live more fully than she has been while she's been weighed down by all this stuff and i think she finally gets sort of this moment of closure. Um, and again, it's like she's never really, she didn't get to get closure on the whole Anakin thing um, after, you know, Malachor and Twilight of the Apprentice and all that. And so it's like finally her getting to kind of close the book on that, as especially as, you know, she's having this duel with him and Anakin, you know, he disarms her and he says, time to die. And then she, you know, is able to get a hold of his lightsaber. She disarms him. She's holding the saber to his throat. And for that split second, you know, you see the red light reflecting in her eyes and you see her eyes kind of glint yellow the same way that his are. And then she says, no, I choose to live. And she throws the saber away. Um, and it's like, you know, it, it 
again, if you think back to Twilight of the Apprentice, it's like this beautiful moment of closure that she's never really had since then to be able to kind of reconcile her relationship with Anakin and everything that he went through and go, you know what? I'm not my master. I'm not going to repeat his mistakes. And I don't have to let those mistakes weigh on me. And the fact that I was, you know, a child soldier in this war that the Jedi were never supposed to be a part of and all this kind of stuff. It's like she relives all of it, confronts all of it, and then has the choice to basically succumb to all of that. And, and you know, it's like, hey, you've had a long, hard life. You can just call it quits right now or you can put all this behind you and choose to move forward. And that's what she does. Um and so, yeah, I, I love it. It's uh, just, you know, the whole first half of this episode, which, by the way, there was so much going on here. Like, I thought this was the whole episode, um, you know, and this was one of the longer ones. It was like a 49 minute episode. And by the time all this stuff in the world between worlds wraps up, like it felt like we were already at like 40 minutes. Like, I thought the episode was almost over by this point. And it turns out it was only like halfway through the episode, which was absolutely wild. Um but yeah, I just, I love getting to see her go on this journey, have Anakin be the one yeah. to kind of guide her through it and to um, have her be the one to make the choice to live. Because, I mean, that's ultimately what this all boils down to. There's all this right. symbolism and all this meaning about, you know, different themes and, and what this all means and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, I, I think, you know, again, just looking at the, the story from sort of a, a surface level and like what is really going on here. Again, it's the force presenting her with a choice. It's like, hey, you're you lost this fight. You're close to death. Um, but she gets to choose. Do you want to, you know, are you going to tap out or are you going to, you know, get back in it? Um, and she chooses to live. Um, and I think it's just it's a, a beautiful moment and it's a beautiful transition for her character that comes afterwards. Again, talking about, you know, the transition to her becoming Ahsoka the White and everything, which also I love that, you know, you kind of touched on this earlier, but I love that it's like subtly done. Yeah. Um, it's not like a literal like, hi, I'm Gandalf the White. Yeah. And I mean, I was kind of worried about that, too. Honestly, too. like, yeah. I'm like, how are they going to do this? Especially knowing how much Dave loves Lord of the Rings and how he's talked about before the parallels between Ahsoka and Gandalf and stuff. And I was like, OK, you're going to have her go through this like near death experience and kind of experience experience this like spiritual rebirth in a way and then come back with like the white robes and all rejuvenated and powerful and everything um i was like how are you gonna do that and not make it feel for the casual fans like oh they just ripped off lord of the rings like i was worried that that was going to be the discourse after this episode of like all the the casual fans that weren't already familiar with that from rebels being like yeah what the heck is with this gandalf knockoff um but they did it in a, a very subtle way that was less about it was less about the aesthetic and the the colors and everything because if you think about lord of the rings like when gandalf comes back as gandalf the white He's like all white robes, white staff, white hair, white beard. And the first time he appears to everybody, it's in this blinding flash of white light, um, you know, and he's all like super powerful and everything. And so it's like they could have done that with Ahsoka, too, and had her like, you know, rise out of the water, suddenly all clad in white and, you know, shining with the power of the force and everything but like the fact that she still barely survives and you know they have to like rescue her out of the water and then it's kind of more of like a slow subtle transition um and you even see like first she kind of comes out just wearing like a white it's almost like a blanket or a shawl or something over her 
um, and kind of gradually gets more and more of the pieces of like that white outfit um, towards the end of the episode. And then when you see the full thing, it still is like, you know, there's pieces of it that are kind of gray or silver or cream colored. And so it's like overall, it's a much lighter color scheme, but it's not like this pure blazing white. Um, so I thought that was very well done. It was very, you know, tastefully done. And in a way where like, you see the parallels there and the inspiration, but it doesn't just feel like a, a cheap knockoff. Um, which is not what I would expect from Dave. Like, you know, we know Dave has, yeah, knows how to craft this stuff well, but of course, of course. Um, it was just satisfying to see that done in, uh, in such a good way. For sure. But one other thing I did want to mention just, you know, with sort of coming to the conclusion of the uh, sort of the whole world between worlds thing with Anakin and all that. And we talked about the sort of the the debate that you could have or the differing theories or perceptions on like, was that really Anakin? Was that um, just the force kind of speaking to her through Anakin? I think it seems like we're both of the opinion that it's maybe a little bit of both. Um, my other question is, do you think she was actually physically in the world between worlds? Or do you think it was just sort of like a like a force vision force vision sort of manifesting itself in mortis. this this thing that was like familiar to her think mortis think mortis because look what happens in mortis they all get knocked out they're in this real world they're really living it and they wake up and they're in the same spot she falls in water she wakes up she's in water yeah so it's That's... it's it's mortis it's like mortis mortis is like the tree the world between worlds is, is like a a a a lesser descriptive mortis essentially in my in my opinion mortis is more um controlled by the force users whereas or uh, um mortis is that representation of, of these infinite beings like let's say that like let, let's say let, let's go a little step further let's say let's say the father is like the original anakin okay and he's like beyond the jedi and the dark side and he's a balance and but he was at one point human Anakin is that personified too again, right? We'll just we'll just say he's a god, chosen mm -hmm. one, whatever, right? I mean, you know what you know what I'm saying, right? Um, they we they think they're gods, but they're not. But Mortis is like this representation of these real people forming the force around them and and et cetera, et cetera, right? Now the world between worlds is that without someone controlling all of it around it and, and having someone you know molded to what they want it to be or whatever, it's just this this distinct force world. And, but it operates the same because you transport there your essence, your, you know, your essence of the force, um, uh, your, indiv your individuality and the force still is represented, but it's that purgatory. It's like, you're not quite in the netherworld, but you're not one, you're really close, but it, you're, it's so far away from the real world that you're removed. You know what I mean? Like it's a whole idea that Mortis does. And it's, it's brilliant, you know? So, mm -hmm. and it, and it, it makes sense to why the world between worlds operates that way in rebels, to be quite honest, because time stops. Cause even Floney has even been quoted as saying about the world between worlds. There's no time in, in the world between worlds and there's no time lost between Mortis. So, and that's why, you know, when she, when he pulls Ahsoka out, she just goes right back in and it's like, she's never left. Even though like she, she had been gone for like, you know, let's say like 20 minutes, whatever. So, well, here's the question. I mean, a, I think it was longer than 20 minutes. You know, what, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? But, right. right. But the question is because I mean, 
see, okay, so there's there's different elements of, of this. I talked about originally in the Rebels right? episode, like, not not this episode, but Regal, the Rebels episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's fair. But in this episode, I mean, there's there's sort of different aspects of it that you could take to mean different things. I mean, first of all, it's like if she is physically in the world between worlds, then like how did she get there? Because the only other time we've seen that in in Rebels, you know, it had all these doorways. Um, and Ezra enters through the temple on Lothal. Uh, Palpatine is trying a, to create a portal like to a get moving, in. It enters through a moving thing of like loft wolves. I mean, come on. I mean, like, we don't have to over explain how she got into there. It's like, well, no, 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 no. I'm just it, let me let me let me lay this out. Right. OK, OK. okay. Um, because also in Rebels, when they're in the world between worlds, you see all these doorways in it. And in this episode, you don't see any doorways. You just see all the pathways, you know, and, and sort of these roads almost just crisscrossing and everything. Um, but also, it's like there's, I mean, if if this is actually the world between worlds, there clearly is some sort of crossover or like, you know, this sort of bleed over into the physical world where like, Jason is able to hear the lightsabers, obviously, although this, you know, that could be something more that he's just sort of sensing through the force because it's like, I mean, only he and Hera are able to hear it, right? And it's kind of blended in with like the um, the the waves crashing against the rocks and everything, but it's not like you can place a distinct, you know, it's not like, oh, I hear lightsabers coming from over there. It's just kind of more of like a, a general thing within the force. But that clearly is having some impact on the physical world um but also it's like if ahsoka is physically in this other place then why is you know it's like when they're they're searching you know flying the ships over the water and everything and initially they're not able to find anything but then chopper picks something up on his scanner so there is something physically there um and so i mean part of me wonders like was she actually just floating in the water the whole time and somehow either like subconsciously like using the force to preserve her life or the force itself was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, save you from drowning right now while I'm giving you this choice. And this was all I, I think on one end of the spectrum, you could almost assume that this is all just sort of it's all in her head. It's all like a force vision that's being presented to her. Um, and still in that vision, you could say that Anakin is still part of that. And he's still, you know, through the force coming to to speak to her and sort of help present this choice. But it's like in one sense, you could almost see it like a, a moment like people always talk about somebody being near death and their life flashing before their eyes. Um, or like you said, on, you know, on a more spiritual level, sort of like this purgatory um, where this is all sort of this this different like spiritual experience that she's having while her physical body is just floating in the water. Or on the other hand, you could say that she actually was physically transported to the world between worlds and is having this whole experience with Anakin in there and that, and that she's not in the water and that's why Carson and everybody is unable to find her at first. And then it's like, okay, well then why is Chopper able to pick something up on the scanners? Um, and it's like, you know, I, I've heard compelling arguments for both. I have kind of my own thoughts on it. I kind of lean more toward the side that, like, I think she maybe isn't actually... I don't think she's physically in the world between worlds the same way that, like, she was with Ezra in Rebels. Because they're, like, we see them go through the doorway. We see Palpatine trying to get in. We have the whole temple and the explanation of, like, how to get there and all that kind of stuff. And in here, like, it's just there. 
And I think it it works because for like, you know, people that have watched Rebels, it's like, oh, this is familiar. We've seen this before. But for people that haven't watched it, you don't have to explain like how this world works and what this is and everything. It really is just working as kind of more of a backdrop. And regardless of, you know, sort of the the practical implications of like, okay, what's actually happening right now? And how did she actually get here? And where is this place? It's like, that's not important to the story. The stuff that's important to the story is what's going on with Anakin, the lessons that she's learning, the things that she's seeing. Um, and the again, the world between worlds just kind of acts as a cool setting for all this. And it it's kind of up to the interpretation of the viewer as to like, how real is this all? Um, but I think, you know, much like Mortis, and I think I think you could have the same arguments with, you know, the, the same arguments with Mortis, like, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka find this giant cube thing floating in space and it opens up and they pass out. And next thing you know, we're seeing all this stuff on Mortis. And then they come out at the end and it's like no time has passed. And it's like, well, were they actually in a physical place walking around and all this stuff was happening? Or was this all sort of like within the force somehow? Um, and it's all it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of up to the interpretation of the viewer. They never give you any concrete, you know, absolute answer. And it's like that's not the important part. Um, the important part is the experiences that the characters had. And, uh, you know, I, I think in both instances, like with the Mortis arc and with this, it's clear that regardless of whether it was actually you know actual physical events that were taking place or they were in an actual physical place or whatever um you know the impact is still there the the events still happen to them like they still remember it i mean even you know when when they pull ahsoka out of the water and she kind of mumbles you know anakin it's like she's remembering um you know, all, all this, like the, the conversation that she just had with him, it's like, he was the last thing she had seen. And, you know, she's still remembering that. So it's not like this was all just sort of some dream or something that didn't mean anything. Um, you know, I, you know, clearly it's like, she, she went through this and affected her and we see how she comes out the other side of it and, and changes because of it. And so I think that's the important thing. Um, whether she was actually physically in the world between worlds or not, like it doesn't really matter, but it makes for, you know, an interesting debate. So, um, it's just been fun to see people's different takes on that. And I love the way that, you know, Dave continues to do this, you know, this weird force stuff with the world between worlds and Mortis and all this kind of stuff. And like, we never get all the answers and it's always kind of fun afterwards having the fan debates and the speculations and stuff. But at the end of the day, like, it's the, uh, you know, the story and the themes that are most important and not the actual physical, like, practicalities of everything. You're not wrong. But, um, yeah, so, it, like I said, it's wild that that was all, like, the first half of the episode. Um, but the, you know, the second half, I mean, it's really, like we said, it's it's seeing Ahsoka kind of make that transition coming back and talking to Hera and they're trying to figure out what happened to Sabine. And, you know, she takes the, um, the severed half of the map and is trying to figure out, uh, you know, she's sensing through the force, like what happened to Sabine and where she went and everything. Um, and meanwhile, Hera's dealing with, you know, Mon Mothma and the new Republic fleet and this whole unsanctioned mission that they did and the, the consequences of that and everything. Um, but it all ends up with, um, 
you know, Ahsoka seeing the the pergil up in the sky and realizing that, oh, maybe this is our way to uh, to try to follow them. Um, and the whole last few minutes of this episode are also just magical and some of my favorite stuff that we've ever seen in Star Wars, um, where, you know, all the ships take off and, you know, now you got Ahsoka in the white robes and her ship with Hu Yang. And they fly up into the clouds and, you know, find the whole, like, I feel like this is the first time that we really see the Pergil in their full, like, this is the full reveal of them in this show, in live action, kind of seeing them in all their majesty and everything. Um, you know, seeing just the whole pod of them, you know, floating up in the sky and just the way they move and everything is so freaking cool. Um, but then having Ahsoka, like, you know, commune with sort of the, the, big I don't know, alpha or matriarch or whatever you want to call it. Um, and just hitching a ride inside the Purgle's mouth. We figured like they would probably play more of a role in this show and maybe would, you know, somehow play into them getting to a different galaxy. And we'd seen obviously in rebels, um, you know, them kind of like attaching to ships and, you know, pulling Thrawn's ship off into the distant galaxy with them and stuff. And so it was like, okay, how's that exactly going to work? Um, so it was just kind of funny to see, uh, you know, Ahsoka and Hu Yang and their ship being like, all right, get in the Purgle's mouth and off we go. Um, and Hu Yang being like, I, you know, I'm very skeptical about this plan. And he's like, are you sure that they're going to take us to where we want to go with Ezra? And Ahsoka's like, no, I'm not sure. Like, I have no idea if uh, if they're going to take us where we need to go. Um, and Hu Yang's like, well, we could go anywhere. And she's like, yeah, I know. But it's, it's better than going nowhere. Um and again, already seeing that change in kind of the the lightheartedness and the willingness to just kind of go with the flow and not need to be so in control and not be so serious. Um, and it's like it's it, it's almost a subtle shift, but still like very noticeable at the same time. Like the last few minutes of these of this episode, you see that she has a weight lifted off her shoulders and in i mean for lack of a better term you know when she said i choose to live like she's living like this ahsoka that we see is more alive than we've seen her you know especially in any of the live action stuff like she just seems so much more um free and and you know just sort of happy and, and willing to embrace whatever comes next mm -hmm. um and i even love that you know in the previous episode, she was being very serious and solemn and telling Sabine, like, hey, the most important thing here is that we stop Thrawn from coming back. And if that means we leave Ezra stranded, like, that's better than letting the bad guys get what they want and getting Thrawn back to start another war. Um, and here, like, the last thing she says to Hera, she says, you know, I'll bring, uh, she's like, Hera, I'll find them. I'll bring them back, I promise. Like, she's she's now more concerned with the well-being of her friends. Um than she is with, uh, you know, just accomplishing the mission at all costs and, you know, leaving people behind and everything. And so she's sort of re rediscovered that that compassion and empathy and not just being so, like, mission-driven. Um, but, man, then just, you know, seeing the, uh, the whole, uh, you know, pod of Pergil, like, fly out into the atmosphere... Um, fly past all these new Republic ships that had showed up to try to stop them from leaving. And, you know, there's a fun little moment in there too, where Carson Tiva is kind of stalling for time and, uh, you know, trying to get the the new Republic to back off and not interfere. And that was a fun little moment. Um, 
But then, of course, you know, the, the New Republic captain of the fleet doesn't really buy it until she sees all these Purgle coming at her. And I just the way that like the music swells, it's like the most epic rendition of Ahsoka's theme that we've ever heard as everybody in all these different ships is just watching these creatures go by out their windows. And you can see it on, you know, on Carson's face and Hera and Jason's face. And just like everybody is just in awe of what's happening. Um and I certainly was as well. I'm sure I can speak for most of the audience on that on that part. Um, it was just just one of the most you know wonderful and magical Star Wars moments we've ever seen. Um, and then you know you see uh, all the Purgles start jumping in, jumping into hyperspace, which again just as a, a longtime Rebels fan was just something that was really cool to see in live action. Um, and to have kind of this final. Uh, not final, final goodbye, but you, you know, ah- Ahsoka saying goodbye to Hera as Hera's going to have to stay behind with Jason, and uh, it's just Ahsoka and Huyang going off into this other galaxy. Um, but again, her telling her like, you know, all right, we're going, we're we're going to find Ezra and Sabine and bring them back home. And Hera says, "May the Force be with you." And that final Purgle makes the hyperspace jump, and uh, and that was it, closing the book on just an absolutely phenomenal Star Wars story. Yeah, um, I I just got to say that um, the Purgle, I've always been a Purgle lover from the beginning. Yeah, me too. And I never understood the people's complaints about it. Like, oh my God, I was like, you guys are crazy. This is fun. Like it, it was very fascinating to me what when he introduced them the first time. I'm like, that's really interesting. These whales that can light speed. That's really cool. Like, again, a really creative idea that Dave Filoni explored that. I just, again, like, it's really cool and interesting. I mean, the episode itself wasn't great, but the Purgle, that, that, that's why I like the episode. And I, I never understood why people complain about that episode. This is filler. It's like, it's a really cool, interesting aspect of Star Wars we haven't gotten before. And then I had no idea they're going to play a huge role, obviously, in the, the season finale, much less into, um, uh, much less into the uh ahsoka and and they have and then they i'll tell you right now kyle i if you would have told me that purgle would look as good as they do now in live action i'd be like you're effing crazy Mm -hmm. like effing crazy one they'll never do it because that's bonkers to do two it looked ridiculous well i'm wrong on both accounts and I'm glad I am because holy f, like that is, they look inc- they looked incredible episode three, they look incredible now. Um, the the production on Ahsoka is just top notch. It is mm-hmm. just, I, 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 you know, Kyle, I don't want to rag on Obi Wan. I really don't because I love that series. I cried, I effing cried at the end of Obi Wan. I don't understand how that looks so much more cheaply made than ahsoka i just don't get it i don't understand how it could look that different this looks like i i we both saw this uh, different aspects of this series on the theater right mm-hmm. in the theater screen it looked so it looks like a movie it does not yeah. look like a tv show and i can say that from the tv screen to the, the big screen we, we are both can advocate and and, and confirm that i i do not understand how Obi-Wan does not look as good as that. It just does, it does not make sense to me. And even Book of Boba Fett at times. 
does not make sense to me how it just does not always translate. Not, not there's parts of Book of Boba Fett and Obi Wan that are look incredible, but as a whole, it's just not consistent. This is five episodes in Kyle where it looks fantastic every episode. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing is they spared no expense, and I'm not sure if it's, if it's because like it was a mini series or I have no idea. Regardless, just emulate the production quality of this verbatim. I mean, Andor looks, you know, a little more, a little better, but I think it's also because it's, um, it just, they, they did a really good job with their, with their, with their I think with their production. So when you go, yeah. right, you get a, you get a plus for me on that one, but <laughs> it's all you, you get, you get a plus up on the on production. So shut the hell up after that. Um, uh, anyway. <laughs> Um, a guy, you know, and he's a good writer. I just, I'm just so sick of hearing him talk and be like, oh, I'm so important. It's like, shut up. Um, so, uh, anyway, I, I just, I really hope they emulate the production of whatever they do on Ahsoka because it feels like that's more in line what they want to do with the, with the, uh, TV series, you know, besides Andor, as far as like this kind of this aesthetic. And I, I just don't, I don't understand how they could never do that. I think Mando season, I think all the Mando seasons have gotten better looking over, over the course of time. So, and that's whatever, but like Ahsoka is just top notch. It looks so good. Yeah, no, Um, this is definitely next level. And I mean, I think part of it is just that, like you said, over time, they keep getting better and better at this stuff and using the volume and, you know, just kind of getting more experience under their belt. I mean, you know, uh, Obi-Wan was a, a different set of showrunners and creative people. And so, you know, maybe they just didn't have the same art department or, you know, certainly they had a different cinematographer um, and, you know, maybe just Deborah Chow made different directing choices visually. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to rag on Obi-Wan too much either, but that definitely is like, I love the story of Obi-Wan, but it's my least favorite of the live action series, just from a production and visual standpoint. Um, and Ahsoka is the complete opposite end of the spectrum, like visually, uh, you know, production value, music, all of that stuff is top notch. Uh, You know, any criticisms that you've heard from people so far have mostly been related to like the writing and the pacing and, and, you know, maybe certain performances or stuff like that. I have heard a few people be like, oh, the cinematography is just kind of like flat and boring. And I'm like, "I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, because I think the series looks fantastic, but yeah, I mean, this episode in particular was just next level across the board. Um, like we said, from the I mean, honestly, the I feel like the parts of this episode that looked the cheapest were like the Clone Wars flashbacks, but like we talked about, they were able to make that work within the story because you know it looks all foggy and hazy and stuff, and like it's a memory, it doesn't need to look pristine and uh, you know realistic environments and stuff like that so it worked for the context within the story but to be able to get that and anakin and ahsoka having all these awesome lightsaber duels like in the world between worlds and then to come back to this and have live action pergil and ahsoka you know standing up on top of a spaceship communicating with them through the force and them jumping into hyperspace and everything like it just all looked so good and was so well executed and uh i mean i i said it multiple times already but just this was yet another on the list of just instantly iconic star wars moments from this episode yeah the the purgle and her standing on you know reaching out to the force is just there's so much visual representation of what you're doing there and just different next level 
And you know, we, I, I, I know we've all talked a little bit about her performance and everything, but Rosario Dawson is just, she is such a good actress, man. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. She's, she's killing it. I mean, I just want to say that like, there's a actors can enact well in certain roles, but some actors and actresses or whatever, they have presences. And, and, and I think she just, whatever she's on something, she just has a presence on screen. That's why she's so good in daredevil. That's why it's great. She's great in Sin city. I mean, put her in anything like, Oh, I mean, she's just dropped dead gorgeous, you know, whatever, you know, that's for, you know, whatever. But I mean, she's just a great actress man and i and i've i've gone right i remember people trying to tell me like we're actually trying to be but so i'm like listen all respect to ashley there's no way she'd be able to handle this as an actress there's just no way i'm sorry and and i say that because also this the physicality that is that you need to do with this that's one of the most underrated aspects i think of her portrayal of, of ahsoka is that when she fights she is a good on-screen fighter. I think I've said this before, mm-hmm. but man, she like she you feel the hits, man, and mm-hmm. she just sells it so well. And I'm it's really it really is impressive. And nor I feel like it's almost a backhanded compliment, Kyle, that we don't really we don't really talk about her her as much as Ahsoka. I mean, people criticize her more at the beginning because of like her, 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 her character. So what? No, blah, blah, blah. It's not really, really on her. It was more on the writing, obviously, but people try to like say it was her or whatever. It, but now it's like, we've gotten more episodes. I feel that's been lifted more. And I feel like no one's complaining about Ahsoka because we just expect her to be Ahsoka now. Right? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think the best compliment that I can give, rosario dawson for you know her her performance in this is like again the fact that we don't think about like yeah exactly exactly you know you you got these other and and not that like i mean we got all these other great actors in the cast as well but like last week everybody was talking about ray stevenson and how great he was as balin um and then you know you talk about different aspects of like oh, you know, I really liked Natasha's performance as Sabine in this episode, or I really like the kid that's playing Jason, or, uh, you know, it's great to see Hayden Christensen back as Anakin. And then at the center of all this, it's like just Ahsoka. Like, I don't even think about, oh, how Rosario Dawson's performing this line or whatever. Like, it just feels like Ahsoka. Um, And I've seen, you know, Dave talk about in interviews and stuff, how like when he first cast her, he thought like he was going to really have to like bring her up to speed and kind of like direct her and coach her on like how to perform this character. But because she was already a fan and was already familiar with the character, he said like, as soon as she put on the makeup and the costume, she just became Ahsoka and he was able to focus on everything else. And I'm like, Oh, I see what he's saying. Because again, it's like, we're focused on all these other aspects of the show. And at the center of it, you have this main character that's making it go. And we don't even think about her because it's just, she's just there executing it, you know, just the way that she needs to yep. uh, for the show to be able to work and for it not to be distracting or calling attention to it itself or anything. Or, you know, there's, it's not like there's moments where it's like, Oh, that was pretty good, but it's like Ahsoka wouldn't quite do it that way. Or uh, like, you know, again, you, I think the best compliment that you can give you know, an actor, or I know people say this about, you know, the music too, or the, the visual effects is that you don't think about it. It just, it blends right in with the story. And you're just thinking about the story and the characters and enjoying it and not thinking about analyzing the performance or the effects or whatever. And so, um, 
yeah, the fact that, I mean, she obviously is the beating heart of this show and the main character of it. And, uh, you know, the fact that we're just totally bought in and not even, you know, not being distracted thinking about her performance, I think just speaks to how great of a job she's doing. Yeah, I, I think in, I think she's, she's just so to me it's just it's she's still the character and i've to be honest this show overall i mean and, and she's not the only one but i would say a big reason why this is happening now is ahsoka is, is i've always loved ahsoka always i think ahsoka might be one of my favorite characters now because of rosario dawson like full on because i love i love the jedi the episode of a mandalorian season two i, I i've mm. said before I can't I cannot judge the the uh the the last episode fairly anymore um because of season two because it's it's just such an all-timer, you know, because of Luke, whatever. So it's it's like I just I can't judge anything else, I can't judge it fairly to everything else. It's just it's just not fair. Um take that out, and um I think you you get Ahsoka. I think the Jedi is a fantastic episode, it's aesthetically amazing. I think Rosario Dawson's incredible in the episode. Her in the Book of Boba Fett is a, it was a nice surprise. Loved her. This mm -hmm. is really giving me, and I've always loved Ahsoka in the Clone Wars and, and and everything, but I just never connected to the character as much as other people back in the day because I I liked Ahsoka, but just because never just fully commit, you know, whatever. Maybe because she's too young for you know as far as like a character I could connect with as, on the on the same level as you know whatever. Um, and again, I, there's some there's some char char characters I can and some I can't. But Ahsoka in this show and Rosario Dawson's interpretation of the character and everything, I am like, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know, man. I, I think she's been phenomenal. I love it. I think it's just everything about the character. I love everything about the performance of the character. And I love the, I love the transformation of the character we've gotten in this episode. And so this is, we're seeing maybe some of the, you know, this is maybe not the way we, we, we thought we'd get it, Kyle. But to me, this is the Star Wars sequel trilogy or sequel story we've been wanting for a long time. It may not be, it may be different characters, but this is to me what I always expected a sequel story to be the ultimate on screen sequel story to the, the, the OT. I mean, I, 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 there's, I, I love the sequel trilogy more than most people out there. I criticize it for obvious reasons. I think we all can agree. We all, we all criticize it for the same reason, but different ways or di different reasons why, right? You know, same reason, but different reasons why. Uh, <laughs> that makes any sense. But that being said, I really feel that Dave Filoni has tapped into what I always thought Star Wars was going to be headed after the, the original trilogy. And but I just thought it would be with Luke, Leia, and their and their children. You know, not with Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra and, mm -hmm. and Jason. So, and you know what? And and this is honestly has shown me because you know I me, mean? I've always been a big Skywalker guy, and and I still think I still think Ray Skywalker will play a pivotal role. And that's why I said before, I think Anakin's legacy is through not just Luke, but through honestly, obviously Ahsoka too. I think this is one of the big reasons why he's here. And this also helped me kind of come to terms with the fact that like more Jedi will be coming up and the Skywalker should hopefully will always be important. But how this, there are so many great stories to be told outside of the Skywalker uh, saga, which is obvious. I knew that, but it was more kind of like confirmation of like, oh, I, I, can't, I will love other stories outside of Skywalkers that are Jedi like Ahsoka and all this. So it just shows me that like, I can't wait to get more like an acolyte and things like that. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, this episode's an all timer. The series has been an all timer. Um, I, I don't, 
foresee that the next three episodes will be bad, but Secret Invasion has taught me to be wary. So <laughs> uh, I, will, I will be wary. But um, I have no doubts it'll be great, though. I have full confidence Dave Filoni will nail this thing. He's never not landed, stuck the landing yet. Let's be honest. Like, he hasn't. Yeah. Like he's stuck every landing he he's yeah done. all of his and, all of his finales I mean it's been two shows so far but, even his you know. even his faking even his like kind of like two finales because the Clone Wars had yeah. two finales well true yeah I mean one was not intended to be a finale but, but it was a great finale um yeah 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 but I mean even the season finales of Clone Wars would be great exactly but, yeah, I mean, like, you see what I'm saying like, but like see, you know see but Siege of Mandalore and you know the ending of Rebels and all that kind of stuff like. Yeah, no, I have full confidence that uh, we're in for some really special stuff the next three weeks of this show. But to your point real quick, I mean, talking about how this is almost like the the sequel trilogy we were hoping for, just not with Han, Luke, and Leia. Again, I I would bet you money we're going to see Han, Luke, and Leia play yeah, a big but role not in like, the but not, But not like what we want we wanted to originally that's what I'm, I, I get we're gonna make a cameo appearance i'll be in it for like no know, i don't think they're gonna make cameo appearances all I right think... I, this is, all right let's just let's just move on i can't we can't debate this i'll i'll be here all night i gotta go to bed yeah tonight. just i think i think when once like this is a soga story going to find ezra and sabine and you know thrawn's involved in everything but like if they truly are gonna do you know bring thrawn back and have the movie be like a a, a modern canon retelling of heir to the empire you can't do that without han luke and leia and i think that's going to be right for bringing those characters back to the forefront and giving people what they wanted of seeing those guys in their prime and uh you know more of jedi luke and all that kind of stuff um now that's just speculation on my part but if dave gives those characters the treatment he's giving ahsoka right now like we're going to be in for some really special stuff um but man yeah i mean this stuff has just been incredible so far we're now at the point where like i think i said this last week too because all this world between world stuff wasn't really in the trailers or anything although there was a they released a tv spot that had like anakin voice lines in it so tim and i knew that you know some of this anakin stuff was coming um but like now i think even with all the the TV spots and stuff, like the only thing we've seen that we haven't seen in the show yet is just the shots of Thrawn, which there's only been like the two, you know, the one of the back of him from the first teaser and then like the one where we see his face. Um, and we know Thrawn is coming. Like, you know, that's not a surprise. So uh, as far as what we're going to see in this other galaxy, like how quickly are we going to see Thrawn or is it going to be a long journey for Ahsoka and Hu Yang to get there and try to find everybody? And, you know, like I have absolutely no theories or expectations for what we're going to see these next three weeks. I'm just going to enjoy the ride. Um, it's been a heck of a ride so far. And I trust that we're just going to be in for some more really special stuff. It's crazy because the way that this episode ended, like it almost had the feeling of a season finale um, with, you know, Ahsoka kind of undergoing this big, uh, you know, having to make this big choice and undergoing this character change and coming back kind of rejuvenated and with renewed purpose and a new outfit and everything. And, then just kind of this epic send off with the Pergil and like the goodbye to Hera and everything like it definitely had a finality to it where I was like, if this was the season finale and we knew that a season two was coming, I would be okay with that. Um, but instead we get three more episodes and I'm sure we're going to see a lot more cool stuff. So um, 
yeah, I just I can't wait to see what's in store for the rest of the season. I can't wait to sit down and binge the entire season all the way through when it's over because it's going to be just an incredible story, I'm sure. Um, and can't wait to you know keep talking about it with you guys. You know, hopefully Tim's able to join us next week and we can keep uh, you know just talking through all this stuff and speculating and theorizing and geeking out over um, just this uh, this incredible story that Dave Filoni has crafted. But so far, it's just been incredible in this episode in particular i mean i think this might be this might be my favorite episode of any of the live action star wars shows we've gotten so far i mean my my pure level of like joy and hype and everything coming out of it maybe wasn't as high as when we saw luke show up in the mandalorian just because we didn't know that was gonna happen and with this one, like we got the Anakin tease at the end of last episode. So then this whole week, it was like, okay, we know we're seeing Anakin in the world between worlds and stuff. It's just, what are we going to see? Um, but I feel like just the, you know, the, the, there was more meat to the story and the, the character development and the themes and everything. And then just, you know, visually and the production values and everything, it was just, just a, a excellent, gorgeous piece of Star Wars tell the storytelling start to finish. So, um, yeah, this one was an all-timer for sure. Agreed. But um, anyway, before we wrap up, um, let's see. I got to do Tim's job and read the comments from Twitter. Um, and so just, yeah, obviously after the episode last night, uh, or I guess it was like the, the day after Tim posted, you know, so how about last night's episode of Ahsoka? We're anxious to hear everyone's reactions and thoughts on what was a landmark episode of Star Wars television. So be sure to let us know. Um, and we got some comments. First of all, uh, Isaac Foxworth just said, how can words describe? Um, which is a fair question. I mean, we've been talking about it for almost three hours. And so hopefully some of our words have somewhat adequately described it. But there's, you know, we could sit here and talk another three hours about this episode if we wanted to, I'm sure. Like, it really is hard to put into words how great this all was. Um, but Star Wars Junkie said, loved it. Loved seeing the, the transition from animation to live action. Adds more weight to the animated shows. Uh, Star Wars U-Pod said, so much goodness. We have a, a live action Rex. The transitions between Anakin and Vader. Anakin with a red lightsaber. Young Ahsoka. Siege of Mandalore. Maldalorians. Ahsoka the White. Pergil's jumping to hyperspace. Jason hearing the world between worlds. The lightsaber choreography. Beautiful. Um... And then Eric uh, at London Stark says, with this, Dave Filoni has become the master. With funny enough, the final lesson on from master to apprentice to let go and move forward and live. So beautiful and meaningful. Uh, Rich Brockwell said, too much to fit in one tweet, but I'll say this. Not since George has a piece been so dense with world building and mythology. It was Star Wars magic. Uh, and lastly, Berksba said, I honestly don't know what to say. I had to immediately rewatch it because I was in shock and awe and couldn't process it. I'm so appreciative of what Dave has done and continues to do. Not to be greedy, but now I want a Bad Batch live episode. Loving the podcast. Thanks so much. Um, so, yeah, thank you to all you guys for chiming in uh, with your thoughts. Um, thank you, Berksfa, for the, the kind words about the podcast, too. Glad you guys are enjoying it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, it's been pretty much universal praise across the board for that last episode. Um, I also, I actually had a few friends over to watch it, uh, and we all, you know, after the first time we watched it, we took a break, got some more snacks and stuff, and then rewatched it again. Um, and we all were, you know, just as blown away by it the second time. 
Um, I'm not going to tell you how many more times I've watched it since then, but I've watched it more than twice. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, this was a special one for sure. And, uh, glad we get to share it with you guys. Um, and it's been cool just, you know, seeing everybody's reactions to it and stuff. And, uh, like I said, can't wait to keep talking more star Wars with you guys through the last three weeks of this, uh, through the last three weeks of the series and beyond. So, um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at star Wars TSC. Uh, you can send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com and check out our website at starwarstsc.com. Um, so we will be back next week, uh, as always, to talk about uh, episode six of Ahsoka and all the crazy places that that's going to take us. But uh, that's going to do it for now. So thank you guys for listening. We will see you next time. And may the force be with you. Godspeed, Rebels.